Welcome to Valley Strange, episode number 12. On this particular episode, we're going to be talking about part two, chapters six through 10 of the 12th planet. Again. Zachariah Sitchin. Ah, there you go. Got it right this time. I think. You self-corrected. Yeah. So, um, as your host, my name is Ray, and then beside me I have... Oh, uh, I'm going to try to see about stuttering my way through this. Uh, this is Roland. And in the Pacific Northwest Studios, I hope your staff has treated you better this time, Daniel. Um, yeah, we're adequately supplied. Um, they didn't spend too much on beer for this episode. Um, they got founders all day back in. You know, mm. I appreciated the local craft brew, you know, but, you know... I want to drink, you know, 12, 13 beers throughout the day, you know, and I just can't do that with, you know, other beers now and getting older or slowing down or something. And, but it, speaking of beer, it occurred to me that I should have waited to open my beer as who this is. Mm. Darkwing drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but this is Daniel dudes. What's up? All right. So, um, with, a bit of hesitation, as always, uh, going through this book. Uh, we're about to get started. So just to give a bit of a recap on some of the points from our previous episode, if you haven't heard it, go check it out. Um, chapters one through five. So basically, we have Zachariah Sitchin proposing his theory sure. about aliens or other beings from not Earth coming to Earth to seed, give information. Uh, well, actually, they pretty much settle here for a while. Right, and they're responsible for the... Uh, yeah, well, they well, man hasn't even like really come about yet. That's it's right, It's all yeah. still like... Because we're talking... The realm uh, of the gods. That Sitchin proposes that the Nephilim, as they're later referred to regularly as, and we'll probably get into that distinction here in a little bit, because um, there is that whole... And I think we got to that into the first or into that in the first episode discussing like, you know, the multiple permutations of the usage of um, Nephilim right. referred to like the giants in the Bible. And, right. you know, then there's different like slight takes, but they still use the same word on it. But the Nephilim for reasons we'll get into or Sitchin gets into that we'll discuss here in a bit, um, decide to set up shop on planet earth. Right. Yep. Uh, we haven't gotten fully into why they're doing it. Uh, we just know right. that they are doing it. I mean, at this point now there is Sitchin. Yes. And, uh, Sitchin in chapter two of, uh, the book pretty much, uh, lists, uh, reasons why, Again, this is just the beginning of why he thinks this is the case. So we do have uh, the sudden civilization, which is chapter two. He lists a We're, number of of uh, right, inventions, and right? Discoveries. Uh, agricultural, oh, monetary. Um, and sorry, um, I forgot one little point. Um, Sitchin proposed that the Nephilim landed on Earth uh, four point five million years ago, I believe it was. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. So like, this is way pre people. Yeah, um, that's correct. Yeah, right. Yeah, so um, there was, again, there was uh, reasons for... Um, so basically, it's, it's, specu- uh, specu- to, yeah, speculation. Like one right. sentence, I think, is uh, the almost impossibility, but he right. talked about how it's incredibly improbable that 
Homo sapiens should have developed as fast as we should have. Right, right. Considering if you're looking like, at like an previous, evolutionary scale. That's correct. Right. Yeah. For, concerning and the it suggests scale. that it was accelerated by something. Right. An outside influence. And, and this is also because we don't have any written record prior to this civilization. I mean, there probably could have been, it could have been destroyed, who knows. But as of right now, we only have written record of the advancement of this particular civilization. Right. Uh, yeah, well, actually, it was just like, well, actually, the first bit was like just the people coming about. And then in the following chapters, he <clears throat> traces mythology because he just kind of takes us, you know, a little uh, trip through time going backwards a step. You know, and backwards goes, from okay, the, from we the thought like initially the Greeks were the like first civilization. Right. And then he talks about them. And then he goes, okay, now the Egyptians. Right. And then we go, okay, now we have like the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then, oh wait, the Sumerians. And then in the next chapter where he talks about like the, the various religious pantheons, he kind of takes us through the same uh, little trip through time where he's like, okay, the Greeks had these figures and then we see these same figures in Egypt and da, 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 where's the source? Um, Sumeria. Mm -hmm. So he argues that this is the first civilization. Um, We'll get into discussions of that in our uh, kind of tie it all together episode, which will be coming out probably sometime probably in November, I assume um, <clears throat> since October is supposed to be busy for MoCoS studios. Anyway. Um, so he's tying together, like you said, all of the, uh, yeah, he's just you know, making the case parallels. that Sumeria is the first civilization for his main and case he, being and that then he, called, he refers to it as the sudden civilization because all of a sudden yeah. there's all these you know, the, cities and, um, the reason he, crazy, uh, you know, levels of bureaucracy and right. artwork and yada, yada, and they're all over the place in this area. And, and then he ties it back where he goes like, and look how influential they are because even today we still have vestiges of the ways that the Sumerians made sense of their world. Right. You know, 12 hour day or 24 hour days. Right, the calendars. You know, 12 months, da 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 So he's just saying, go, this, so all signs point to early civilization. We have no other earlier links that we know of and these guys were so goddamn dope that they're still ingrained in the way we order our right. world. Yeah, right. in society. And, and I, mean, I think that's fascinating. Um, it is. Yeah, but um, Sitchin is his, saying uh, that uh, they couldn't have done it on their own. Um, right. They needed assistance. And the way he goes about, uh, I guess, uh, learning about this through, through the different mythologies, through different religions, is that he takes a literal approach to them. He flat out says, right. well, what do we just like tie all these stories together by taking them at face value you know uh the it's gods not, it's, no, it's the, no longer a myth it's, it's uh, not literal a myth. right these things are uh historical historical this is what events. happened yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right so um we're gonna start off this next episode by talking about chapter six which is called the 12th planet uh roland would you like to read uh, your particular summary? Uh, okay, that? yeah. So this is, uh, again, where he starts to go into his, I guess, the meat of his uh, his ideas. Uh, Twelve Planet uh, specifically refers to the realm of the Nephilim themselves. Uh, so yeah, I have a little um, 
Blurb. Blurb. A little preface about it. Uh, this chapter summarizes a brief history of the development of systems of astronomy that were used by early civilizations and how they surprisingly correlate very closely to the modern systems used today to describe and organize the stars, the constellations, and planets. Such postulates that due to a lack of technology and advanced mathematics, there is no way that Sumerians, for example, should be able to know the relatively exact degree and distances between celestial bodies. He submits that they would not even have a use for this knowledge, uh, you know, as it is in their in their wheelhouse in their uh, existence. Why should they need to understand? Uh, and they wouldn't even also be able to. They, right. see these things. Yeah, exactly. Right. These are things that are supposedly on their uh, beyond their uh, their capabilities, uh, their purview, their literal purview. They couldn't they they couldn't see this stuff. Why why do they not? Why do they think that the world is a sphere? Why is it that they didn't think like what everyone else understood it as uh, with with the idea of and, geocentrism? And did we talk about why isn't it a flaw planet? in the last episode? No, that no, is uh, actually. Uh, uh, does that come up in this chapter? Yeah. I just can't remember. It all kind of like blurs together a yeah, little it's bit. In there. Um, so, but yeah, he uh, and just to kind of add to that point role about like all this, you know, these calculations, the Sumerians mm-hmm. couldn't possibly figure it out, but yeah. you know, apparently they had the knowledge of the modern day equivalent of Bode's law, which is, you know, basically is math that you is used to predict where, right. Um, where like the stars planet are, should where the planet should be. Yeah. And so on it's and all so mathematical, forth. Um, which and, supposedly further supports the idea that, you know, this information was given to them, not discovered. Because they and don't one thing have that's cool is that like any way to see or determine that. Say the Anunnaki didn't give this information to the you know little humans. Mm-hmm. That the astronomy of the Sumerians was more accurate than our right. astronomy actually. Because I did some reading up on Bode's law, and yeah, it's pretty much correct. Except it missed. Uh, it didn't per- correctly predict. I think like the orbit of Neptune or something like that. Um, whereas the Sumerians, you know, via the Nephilim or whatever had a lock on this. Um, yeah, they, they, uh, they had all of that. Um, I'm trying to find it in here where he does, he does go into mentioning Bode's law at some point. Yeah. I think it was in chapter six, but anyway, it's just a little aside, but yeah, you should probably just continue with your little, um, I was, I was pretty much finishing it. It was just, I was just like, just, just trying to add like a little, like specific example in the book where it's like, the Sumerians were like, just to demonstrate like the scope of the knowledge that they were purported to have. Right. That it was in fact actually better than ours. I, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was um, better than ours. And um, I think he does directly reference a few of the uh, uh, cultures that, that came after the Sumerians as having uh, inferior, um, specifically inferior mm. uh, uh, methods of, of, well, not methods, but the information uh, in their astronomies, in their star charts and whatnot, was not as uh, not as advanced. Um, I'm trying. I actually am still getting getting annoyed with that Bode stuff that I was looking at here. But anyways, yeah. So he just uh, he just mentions all this to again refer to the fact that uh, this information was was given to them inaccessible, um, really. So like I, the means that the Sumerians had. I mean, not to necessarily. And they, they had to have it, that information provided to them. It mm-hmm. it sort of makes me think of the idea of when, like, uh, the uh, 
when like the people uh, when like in, in the time of uh, of uh, I guess the when all of the old world cultures came over and settled into the new world uh, and how they made their observations about the native Native Americans and native peoples here and they 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 fell into that stereotype of the the primitive man the uh, the savage uh, the savage uh, uh, native or whatever thinking that like these 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 folks don't aren't able to understand. Uh, Where are you going with this? No, I was, it's a parallel to me that like Sitchin sort yeah, of makes no, this assumption with I the Sumerians it, that like they're not able to. Well, I, uh, Roland, I, I, I kind of, I, I think I brought it up uh, because uh, Roland was talking about, you know, like Sitchin is talking about the Sumerians and how they're not capable. They weren't capable of uh, of determining coming to, the, this coming to, yeah, coming to this knowledge themselves. But the, his his reasoning to that is that like why would they even need this information to uh, yes? Uh, so but like, I mean, there's also I, mean, the, I can understand that, but we but I kind of made I the think it's comparison a logic trap. to uh, like the folks from the New World coming over to the Americas and right um, and settling and saying that, that yeah, they the, were bringing civilization to the natives right and yet they had like advanced mathematical right yes uh, the, the Native Americans well. were <laughs> were not stupid they were fucking yeah. very intelligent they had their own oh right um, you know and I think that Sitchin also kind of does this when he because like, I don't know like how like with his shitty recreations of these <laughs> graphics that he's working off of, yeah, um, they're really kind of they're crudely done, and I don't know enough about like Mesopotamian archaeology to and like their iconography and some of their like styles and so forth to go oh that's reminiscent of like this time period or whatever. Um, yeah. Cause he never, he, I mean, unfortunately he does not cite even where the, because it's like, from. cause it's like, There's okay. No or are, are these like little crude representations of what's going on in the cosmos done by children? Yeah. You know, like intellectually to the Anunnaki, if that makes any fucking sense. Uh, yes, actually. I mean, I would obviously expect the Anunnaki to have, Somewhat different. So it's like, yes, like that <laughs> completely whole different mindset of, of like, we're bringing civilization to the natives or whatever. Right, right, yeah. Yes. I mean, but they do use pic- the thing pictorial, is, uh, uh, I guess, representations. But I have a problem with that because if these gods did make Adapa the first man and mm-hmm. taught him all that mm-hmm. stuff, then why, like, how could possibly these humans fuck it up? Mm-hmm. They're getting it right from the mouths of the gods themselves. But, oh, wait, all we have are these shitty recreations, generally not from Sumeria, but from fucking the, you know, like the library at Nineveh, which was fucking Assyrian, mm-hmm. was fucking way later. And then showing all these representations of shit from fucking Babylon, which, like, this is all fine. Like, it really is, but he never fucking just goes out and says, here's this fucking, you know, weird little tiny little fragment that we have from Sumeria. And let me show it to you. And then go side by side with something from, you know, the in Nineveh or whatever and go, okay, we have way more of this thing from Assyria, but like way more of like the artifact or whatever, like um, tablet or whatever. But, you know, iconographically and da, da 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 you know, here are these correlates. And if he had done that, like, fucking once in this entire book, rather than taking his uh, wink, wink, 
trust me on the Sumerians. You know, I read this stuff myself. <laughs> yeah. Like it, yeah. it's just, it bothers me because he, he does great homework with everybody, but the Sumerians. Well, that would, that would be because like he's only resorting to the tablets themselves that are not complete. So, I mean, well, he has yeah, to make but all these he never goes like, here's a side by side. Like he just yeah, he yeah, goes through yeah. all this stuff on Babylon and he's like, yeah, the Sumerians are down with that too. Um, <laughs> um, and there's something in a follow up in the tie in episode when it came to the, his treatment of the, the Babylonian uh, new year festival mm-hmm. and then trying to retroactively apply that to the way the Sumerians approached it to, um, to the book of Genesis, pretty much the, the scholars that disagree weren't like talked about, of course, in Sitchin, you know, because right. he also like, will talk about scholars will agree. Uh-huh. Or some scholars don't dig this, but he doesn't say like who they are nope. or what right. their arguments are. He was like, they say this is nonsense, you know, <laughs> or he'll bring on one little like straw man, it. you know, scenario. And he's like, they're wrong. <laughs> right. uh, it's it's well, incredibly um, annoying. Like this book gets more frustrating. The deeper I look into it. Just, well, let's, let's, fuck. let's continue on to the frustration yes, of still at chapter six is that yes. um, we, again, he has proposed, um, we, we summarized it a little bit of what he's talking about in this chapter. And one of the things Which, that stood out was that um, he, he, he goes into like a deep discussion on how, on the methods of measurement that right. oh, are used. Actually, it's in this chapter, which it's relevant to it. Um, he gives us a little history lesson before he gets into some of his earlier correlates, but he's talking about uh, more recent historical developments in astronomical thought. So talking about like Copernicus. Right, right. And fucking Sitchin. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So I've got a couple things under the line, so I need to like just reread them real quick and try to make sense of this. Um, here we go. So... Um, Copernicus depended on mathematical calculations and searched for the answers in ancient writings. So, like, um, those is like a little bit sentence, but he's like, he started because he started with like Columbus and then moved to Magellan, and you know, it's not flat but round, right? Right. And then talk about then he goes into talking about Copernicus. Then further down, he says, while some have called Copernicus the father of modern astronomies. Others view him more as a researcher and reconstructor. Yeah, yeah. Others. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, that's just, oh, that's, oh, that's he's straight just jerking Sitchin. himself off so hard. There. So, he's like, oh, so yeah, he, I'm he goes, you know, <laughs> crucify me as well. You know, like, fuck <laughs> you, Sitchin. <laughs> um, the yeah, fact that is that he well. poured over writings of Greek astronomers who preceded Ptolemy, such as, you know, dickhead, dickhead, and dickhead of dickhead. Yep. You know, then, it, yeah. So, like, he goes then, on then, to say then he later about, about that, how, like, yeah. the heliocentric concept was the was only rediscovered, rediscovered. by Copernicus. Right. Yeah. So, like, I was so talking another, to Ray about ha, that. Ha, 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 yeah, you if know, you look like, in the book, it's italicized that they re like in just, there. He wrote that they rediscovered. And I was like, oh, mm, because another point you brought up too, Roland. The, um, yeah, he uh, he's 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 being snarky. Uh, on his uh, without indirectly, like, I'm surprised right? he never said it's very like, passive aggressive. I, I depend on him. the Old Testament for my analysis, but you know, even Jesus or something like that, you know, right. yeah, <laughs> so um, told the truth as I've tried to do or something like that. 
<laughs> yeah. So like that's that's okay. This this all ties in uh, again to like his belief because the way he explains the uh, how the Sumerians understand uh, their astronomy is that uh, is actually not necessarily directly through them. I think it's through. Uh, one of the following uh, cultures that uh, believes that the, the earth, the planet is flat and looks like he tries to go oh, back. Well, he starts with, uh, is it the, it's not the Babylonians. I don't think it was, no, well, I think he, it was like the Akkadians. Put off with uh, after Copernicus. Uh, indeed, scholars are now hard put to explain why first and later Greeks and then the Romans assume the earth, that was, earth flat. was flat. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and then, so. But then he attaches uh, figure 91, which is of, uh, Oh, of Atlas holding up the earth? Yeah, of Atlas holding Sorry, up the, the sphere. Heavens, the heavens. And it's like, well, if they thought it was flat, why would they depict the constellations on it in a on spherical his, thing on the back yeah, of the Again, like his, figure, his, you know? his literal approach to everything. Um, so and the so reason he... Back, uh, like, you know, yeah, go ahead. Scholars have been incorrect in there you trying to explain away, you know, mm. spherical things with the flat earth concept that these... Uh, earlier groups of folks allegedly, you know, yes, maintained in their belief they, system. They misunderstood um, it. And uh, he like, he, he points to one specific thing that I can see there. And like, apparently, and we, we, you mentioned, we mentioned before we recorded the astrolabe that uh, is discovered uh, that apparently describes a planetsphere. And that which was so, like, like the most, the one of the earlier researchers I was looking at was like, call it one of like the most like, mysterious tablets from like Mesopotamia or whatever. Right. Um, trying to find it. Yeah. Let's get into the astrolabe thing. Yeah. So like the astrolabe, uh, d- you know, describes a planet sphere, the which, which is to say a flat representation of a sphere. Uh, he goes into specific uh, degrees, you know, like the, because each of the uh, sections of the astrolabe, it's, 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 I believe, it's uh, separated into three rings, and each ring has a section of the of of the stars on that. And uh, each of those uh, star sections has a number ascribed to it. And as it turns out, each of those numbers are from I, th- I believe there are multiples of thirty. And on this astrolabe, you're able to find a true north and a true south. You know, those north and south poles. Um, when you follow the numbers along each of these rings and each of their locations, they all they all like add up to 360 degrees. And right. there's no and way each, that they can have little, that. Like, triangular quadrant is broken into 45 degrees. Right. Yes. The quadrants are 45, uh, and uh, each of those are further further um, separated, I guess, into their own. Uh, what does he call them? I think he calls them houses, where each. Well, no, excuse me. That's, oh, that's like another. Way. So it's like the way of Enlil, right, the, way the way of, of Enki, and, and the way of whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like the the three bands of the heavens. Or right, whatever. which is um, actually used uh, in modern astronomy. Oh, the astronomy. way of Anu. There you go. That was the last yeah, one. Yeah, and it's used in, in modern astronomy where there's there's three sections. There's the uppermost, the, you know, the middle, and then the bottom. And uh, just more information to, or sorry, more Things to use that, uh, or that he points out to infer that the Sumerians actually were aware of of uh, the planet being uh, spherical. So, I mean, the I agree with it for the most part. Just it's just it's very sort of again to me very convenient that he has this one smoking gun, this one fucking keystone that is able to 
build up his entire, you know, like theory verse or whatever that he's going with here. Um, it's a good one, I think, uh, if it's if it's to be if it's to be believed. Uh, I'm trying to find the fucking figure of it. Like um, I know there's one here that. Oh, well, I think it's, it's 94. Uh, yeah, figure it's, 94. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Uh, it, it it just looks like a giant pie, but you know it's got each of the three rings in there, and each section is uh, unequal distribution of pepperoni. It's pretty sad. <laughs> it's uh, I prefer my pizza square, but hey, whatever. Um, yeah, each section is ascribed to a different deity, uh, and that's you know three rings of those, and I think this goes on to hold on. Six, yeah. So this, each ring is uh, separated by twelve sections, and so that is uh, going to be one of the, uh, I guess, thematic motifs that he's going to be going or focusing. Yeah, recurring on. numbers. Right. Um, seven as well comes mm-hmm. up a bunch. Four as well. Right. Um, but not in such force 12, as twelve. Twelve. Yeah. As twelve. Twelve and seven. We'll 12 get into being, that. But twelve I, and seven are the big ones. Yeah, there's um, a, supposedly just a ton of uh, ascription, I guess, to the to the number twelve. Uh, not just within the Sumerians. Uh, apparently, you know, it's inherited through everything. Like how we mentioned earlier, the you know the the modern day calendar having twelve months, and, uh, twelve hours. Or excuse me, twenty four hours in the day. But they're described here as daytime and nighttime when he talks about it. So twelve hour double days. Yes, Roland. Uh, talk, speaking of that, can you uh, go into the three uh, modes of measurement that they right. talk about in this chapter? Oh, so this, or, uh, yeah, in chapter six, he goes. Uh, he's very specific, which I, I I do like that, and it's interesting. But uh, he, he doesn't quite explain some of them out in that how they how they function. But he does mention them. He's again going back to the idea or the uh, observation that. The these early cultures have access to information that has little to no benefit to them. So how would they understand this, or why would they even be able to uh, understand this? Rather, well, it's because they got uh, they just got direct knowledge from the Nephilim. That right, is exactly. that is direct. That's, quote that's a quote them. in here, yeah. Because st- obviously quote, yeah. the Nephilim gave it to them. So yeah, he points to three methods the Sumerians utilized for astro- astronomical measurement to highlight their imp- impracticality. One method used the weight of escaping water to the passage of time. I'm that one's that's that's the one I have some 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 difficulty like understanding. Is he talking about like like a like water evaporating from a cup kind of thing? Like over a period of time, do you like I don't know like expounded upon uh, using how, math? Like even that, how would to that, the size how would that, of a how planet? Would that, how would that benefit uh, no measurements? It doesn't, you know. It, but so they use that to determine the distances between stars in terms of time. So the amount of water, I assume here at this point, uh, you know, as it as it evaporates, is measured in time, and they use that to. Oh, actually, what I think they did was they, mm-hmm. by escaping water, right? They like poured it out, yeah, and figured out how long it took for it to hit the ground. Oh, wow! And then okay. they go, and then they they extrapolated from there, going like, Into okay, distance. it takes like, you know. One ziggurat level per like random moment of time, which we've right. already set up so, into the six, sexagonal system. So they so use. Let's say it takes a you know a fraction of a ziggurat block for water to hit the ground. Right. So they use time and volume 
to determine distance somehow. Yeah. And then they just go, okay, then, okay, so if there's like this block and then if that star's way over there, but yeah, but like figuring out like how far that star fucking was, right. like that's the part. So, like, like it makes sense how they would use that as a, like a somewhat. way to kind of like figure distance or whatever, but why not just go, oh, it's, it's four enlils high and enlils <laughs> supposed to be like this big. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> again, it's, it's very, it's very, um, very well. It seems pretty complicated. It seems overtly complicated. And okay, that so overtly complicated. But like, I feel like it almost seems like a bit of a primitive source of measurement for s- such an advanced civilization. Shouldn't they like, like, I mean, that, that this is for them to get back to their planet. Yeah, not for them to come this like to Earth. Because well, they, they have to think of like it, two two methods. Is it both? Because I know they have to have two methods of uh, methods of travel. One coming to Earth and then one going back, but wouldn't that be different measurements entirely? Mm. Um, it's still going to rely on the same like positions of where the Earth is in relation to constellations, you know, and what um, great year they're in. So, okay. whether they're pointed at you know Capricorn, I, I, I okay. So I think I know what Ray is trying to suggest here, uh, or excuse me, explain there with uh, how it might be different. Uh, are you maybe referring to like the the motion of the planets relative to each other? Like in their orbits, well, yeah. But I mean, so that, uh, that yeah. might not be yeah, necessarily the same distance, yeah, I, you know, from from Earth to Mars, like in March, as it might possibly be in in December. Or yeah, whatever, and, and, and or like I, they'll be in a different location of their orbits, so the degrees would be yeah, different. Yeah, because like when distance, we see like this phenomenon in the sky, like fucking um, Marduk is on his goddamn way, and he's like probably near Jupiter based on these star positions, yada, 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 and where, like, Venus is in the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, So so it's all ways to, like, and if it's all about, you know, tracking when the gods come or whatever, then it's, like, when people know to be prepared for when these dudes actually show up. Right. I I guess that would would, uh, come upon, I guess, a second measurement, right? Because it says, like, the arc of the sky. So, I mean... All, oh, all, the, all, right. the, all these three yeah. measurements, like <clears throat> well, and I, I think that the, like dark of the skies was like related to like their their own like mythology and cosmogony, where it's like okay, um, at some point, uh, and they'll did this when these constant when like Leo I mean was that's out so like and that's so also, pretty much the mnemonic device that they used to uh, what's up. I said, like that's that's the like the device that they use to uh, to record that and like remember it. Yeah, they use the, right. the passage of those those particular uh, zodiacs uh, to describe like this time period or this well, particular phenomenon, transition. but also like what's coming because there's right. you know the passing of these great years and different things happen. Yeah, and so there's also like the they've they've each, they've mapped out e- uh, they've mapped out a huge time period Earth year based on each. Uh, or excuse me, based uh, on uh, you know whatever sort of I guess rubric they use to determine what followed what constellation or what zodiac excuse me followed which one. You know, uh, yeah. it started out in Gemini and then ended up in Taurus and Leo and so forth. Whatever, I, I'm not sure how they they. They organized that at that point. I just, I just know that's what they, that's how they used it. Uh, the first type was called Manashukultu, though. Uh, the second yeah. one that Ray was referring to, the Ark of the Skies, uh, derived a measurement of distance uh, using the hours in the day. So thirty degrees was measured as twenty-four hours. 
and that was Beru. So like that one is it's it's that one makes a little more sense to me. Uh, it uses the phenomenon of time uh, to determine uh, a specific uh, uh, degree in uh, in space, um, which is I think where they refer to like with with arc of the skies, the arc being uh, a within the three hundred and sixty degrees uh, around around the planet. Um, so the last technique uh, was. Uh, Pretty Baru simple. Baru and Shama or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Baru and Shama. Shame, whatever. Baru and Shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Baru and Shame. Uh, it was a fixed distance. It was equivalent to uh, one, one of that, uh, one, one Baru and Shame <laughs> was equivalent, uh, unit of measurement was equivalent to 10,692 meters. Uh, and so like, again, cool. Okay, interesting. Uh, using this, they determined the length between the stars. You know what? What? What possible yeah, necessary and, use and then, is like, that? Like after you get to those from Sitchin's perspective, like, once again, like oh, the Nephilim must have told people must but have given them that. Let's go with the premise that you know humans aren't stupid, and right. again, if like, they were the ones that built these trap. sites, mm-hmm. they were using the fucking stars and shit to like figure out like how to align them and stuff. And you see this phenomenon like all throughout the world, which is fascinating. You could argue right. like if you use the Sitchin's yeah. point where it's like, oh, here's like the mother civilization or father civilization and everything else is just kind of a, just a copy of a copy of a copy of it. Right. But you go to the new world and like in the uh, lands that the Maya occupied, there were some special architectural features called E-groups that just call, just call them E-groups for some reason. But these are typically like astronomically lined structures and so forth. And even earlier in Peru, there's um, a trend for sites to follow like a certain degree of orientation. Mm-hmm. And like all of them will do that. Like in the valley I worked in, it was like, things like, 37 degrees or something like that. And a majority of like the fucking sites layout was, you know, based on that measurement. Um, and then other people go, Oh, if you just take that to like a astronomical perspective, then they start, you know, tying in, you know, various stars or points of interest. And so folks all around the world throughout time have been organizing based on the stars. So, I don't think that it's possible or it's possible that it was just the fucking Nephilim that could do this because people were still continuing to apply these mathematics. Yeah. So like I was telling Ray uh, before, like, like what's, what is the, uh, what is there the off chance fuck, that I don't like, even know the point I was trying to make anymore. No, no. Like <laughs> again, like we were talking about how this information could not have been derived from, you know, the human mind. It had to have been something that was, you know, introduced by an outside uh, influence an outside guiding hand. Um, you know, t- I don't know if this necessarily summarizes what you were, what you were referring to Daniel, but it's just like a joke I'd made with Ray earlier. Like, just, okay, what what isn't there to say? There's just a bunch of fucking nerds with nothing better on their fucking hat, you know, t- nothing better to do than to sit around and count out all the stars and compare notes yeah. and like try to out 
out to one up each other kind of thing. And all of a sudden, like, they're like, Hey, that one looks like a dick. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to call it Scorpio. Like, yeah. Okay. Cause you know, it's a, no, it's a scorpion's tail. No, it's scorpion's tail. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's just the dick's been bent, bent backwards or whatever. Uh, so yeah. Um, what the hell is another say that just a bunch of them got together and just started comparing notes and, and again, trying to like compete with each other. And all of a sudden they, they've got a body of information that, <clears throat> you know, it's pretty fucking legit. I, I mean, apparently Sitchin doesn't, doesn't agree to that. And that's what I was talking about before uh, with the, uh, the, the, the logic trap of uh, the conquistadores coming over all the, the new world, uh, you know, countries coming in and just saying oh we're going to civilize all of you you primitives like we're bringing you knowledge and information because you're dumb there's well, no I, way I, you I, could I, understand like you know the stars the sun and the moon wanna, the season what i also wonder is you know just sorry ray but it's related to like how the sumerians could have possibly known about like the 12 planets that sitchin's postulating exist but because they don't know how Why to, wasn't it how 60 to, planets or 50, you know, like 60. That's the number of Anu. So, yeah, he does it go. Fits in, it fits in the hexagonal system perfectly. And well, uh, that, uh, uh, he's uh, this is all, it has to do with his focus on the number 12. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like uh, he has. I want to say. Again, we have a, like, a list here of like the different times the uh, 12 is referenced right. throughout history. Aside from the ones, well, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, in general, yeah. but why? Why not 60? And then look for a phenomenon that ties, you know. Maybe he just didn't find enough examples of it, 50, man. So it's like, oh, the five acts of Enlil in this story or whatever. And Enlil mm-hmm. went down, you know, and did this five thing. The shortest distance, because the shortest distance between two points, Daniel, is 12. That's why. <laughs> oh. In this, in this context. <laughs> but... Well, I mean, even if you're going to like ask, I mean, those kinds of questions, I mean, you can also ask, I mean, like as far as the Nephilim were concerned, like how long did it take them to figure out this information? And, and even are, are they, right. and well, even like, are, are they, are they, so, or his equivalent in Sumerian uh, but, uh, mythology, Sumerian or Greek, they, why did, wasn't or the number Roman? of the planets, uh, was it 40 that? Are you talking about supposed to be around or whatever? Uh, oh, for like their god ranks. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Well, because yeah, the thing like, about that is that galaxy was created in his they, image. You know, Martin they make the, the distinction between or, like primary and secondary of sorts uh, deities, and the the primary ones they fall into like you know again the, they fall into a number of twelve. The secondary being I know, but like their Marduk satellites and, and all whatever that. Whatever is a Sumerian equivalent was yeah. the one that basically made you know was the hero of the you know creation of the solar system and sure. basically made all these bitch ass planets, aka gods, fall in line. Yeah. Why twelve? It's not related with his number in other instances in the iconography and nonsense charts that we try to look at earlier and make sense of that Sitchin uses so in the first five chapters. He does point because to he's examples. Trying to, you know, set his little engine going. He does point examples uh, or two other examples of not necessarily uh, actual, uh, um, I guess, uh, having to do with uh, with uh, the number of deities or like the number of celestial bodies in, 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 the, in the heavens. He does talk about I guess it recurring in like rituals having to do with like with uh, prayer to Marduk himself. They have to say something twelve times 
they have to uh they have like in their they have a temple with 12 gates uh they have um it's seven well the one i was looking at here there there's was like seven else. gates or oh, yeah sorry there's there are like 12 gates 12 pillars yeah 12, 12 pillars locks on the gates but there's also a phenomenon of seven in that as well mm-hmm. like architecturally blah 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 like sure it's, it's fucking weird uh, Isn't that just it, picking it, and it choosing is. like which <laughs> num- which number is going to mean more at a certain time? I mean, um, why, why why again? You said why twelve? Why not sixty? Like I just, it just, it just, I just whatever it, whatever it fits the narrative, with, you know? Yeah, I just and think it has to we're do. We're going to get to this in a later chapter, and I did talk to Roland about this yesterday a little bit via text, and we're still trying to like make sense of some of the bullshit because I was like, well, I actually have a problem with Sitchin right now and just blasted some walls of text at him and Oh yeah. Um, I, we'll get into that. Um I thought I, I actually thought of a, a better response to some of them, uh, but I was gonna save that for later too. Word. All right, cool. Anyway, um uh so yeah, like I mean if 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 I was gonna sort of try to explain away the reason why he focuses on these specific numbers is just this he's looking for recurring uh uh, recur- recurring themes and he found to it. support his theories and yeah this seems to be a prevailing one yeah, yeah. The, the number of 12 uh, it's used in the decimal system it's used in time the signs of the zodiac 12 t- he even again like Brings basically the Bible, 12 yeah 12 tribes, 12 tribes of, Israel, of Israel exactly 12, 12 apostles, apostles yeah. you know like okay man it's there I got you wasn't there wasn't there a movie about this with Jim Carrey I forget was there where like the um, aren't there twelve days of Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you bring Santa into this? Uh, um, twelve beers in most. Uh, oh man, packs. That's right. That's um, true. Yeah, it's important. Maybe he. Maybe he does know what he's talking about. Wow, it's everywhere. Twelve inches and a foot long. <laughs> twelve ounce bottles of beer. Mm, mm-hmm. Those are the good ones. Um. So yeah, like that's again uh, certain numbers that he uses. There's a there's a prevalent you know th- theme. Twelve monkeys that he uses. <laughs> and uh, oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, he points to these uh, through most. I mean, sorry, he says that these are present in most major belief systems, uh, measurements of time, astronomy, uh, and. Doesn't really explain why. I don't necessarily um, think. I, I told Just Roland, that, like, I, I, it's I, a divine number. I find it humorous that he says 12 double hours in a day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's funny. Because, well, like, he follows it up right there with a, the, I believe it was the Sumerians, making the distinction between daytime and nighttime. Right. So it's like okay, twelve hours in the day, twelve I, hours in the yeah, evening, convenient, night, it, yeah, but it. it's it it fits it fits your theory, sure, buddy, kind of thing. Yeah, um, but that I mean, and and then then how does twenty four multiply into sixty if they're double hours? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you're talking about degrees, man. You, you Hold to, on, you have to take into account the fact that Sitchin is I mean, I also math well. That's well established, but like. <laughs> He, he he's he's using modern uh, either knowledge. Of course, you go through history and you see the number twelve a lot, and then you see uh, any even modern technology to determine uh, what the Nephilim were doing. Because I mean, I don't think he's getting it necessarily from the tablets because they're not complete necessarily. Uh, so I mean, he's also incorporating modern knowledge, modern you mean technology. He's making assumptions. And okay, let's go me. back to. I, 
Exactly. Call back right? Why would he say that? Episode? How could you? How and could you? I'm just going to point out this the is the same guy of Sitchin who said. Let's just say this word means rocket ship instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this yeah. this word is a spacesuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's wearing goggles, all right? She's got a, a harness strapped into those wings that allow her to transition to her place or whatever the hell it is that he's talking about. She doesn't fly. She floats. She hovers, whatever. I mean, uh, and no, I'm getting getting a little away from that. Like, yeah, so let's, let's. But just yeah, just saying, like you know, another jump from Sitchin. Color me surprised. You know what? Like, yeah, this is good to. I, I was I was thinking we were getting a, a, a slightly too heavy handed there, but th- this is something you're gonna want to prepare yourselves for if you decide to read this book. This book yeah, yeah. If you, there's gonna be a lot of, yeah, you know. <laughs> Wait, or rather, a lack of. Moments. There's going to be yeah. There's going to be rather a lack of of. I mean, uh, the book. That's what you're talking about. Of, in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Chapter seven: The Epic Creation. So um, again, chapter six is. There's a lot of information in chapter six that. Uh, <laughs> I, I that's probably like an understatement, but is it is the longest chapter in this uh, segment that we're talking about here? Uh, so we go into the Epic of Creation. And the epic of creation. Hold on. How the planets came to be. Right. Um, From the Babylonian perspective. Yeah. Where are you going with Iron Monkey there? What is that? Oh, I was watching. That's not talking some. about. Never, never mind. <laughs> get off talking. <laughs> um, go up, Roland, with that. Oh. Where no, to? I mean down, down, I mean down. Oh, down. all right, all right. Down. I'll t- we're on chapter seven now. Oh, uh, that's right. That's why I was looking for this. Um, this is, I guess, more astronomy, um, which is not my particular level uh, interest. But um, so he's talking about the uh, Sumerian cosmogony, Sumerian Genesis, and how that relates to the location of the planets. The or rather, the. Um, Creation of our, like I said, uh, universe. The solar system. Yeah, the solar system. Um, specifically, the star of this uh, story, I think he has he separates it into like five acts or something. He gets pretty dramatic about it. Yeah. Um, it's Marduk. Marduk is the hero, the hero god, the, um, the uh, I guess, primary deity of the Babylonians. And uh, he goes in to talk, or through this, uh, he relates how they, uh, you know, go about uh, explaining the creation of Earth, Uh, or excuse me, how they rationalize. Because again, at this through this, Sishin is making a a literal interpretation of this this particular story. Um, Well, because it's that this story. That these Babylonians said, it's actually accurate, right? Yeah, and these <laughs> are the reasons why. You know, oh, it's like uh, they're just using these god figures as Apsu, like the actors in it. But here's how it came about: Apsu, the sun, and uh, Tiamat, uh, um, uh, which was a planet at the time, 
were the first two primary deities, and uh, they begat all of the other gods who begat more gods, uh, specifically uh, when Mardu came along. And he came about and uh, started a great conflict, I guess, or rather uh, initiated uh, after. It, it had already been intimated that uh, well, uh, Apsu was... He's got some figures here that was rolled people through as far as like yeah. the order of it. So right. yeah, um, if you, you wanna... he proposes that um, no, in the beginning... You have the sun, God, Mercury, and Tiamat, whatever that uh, planet was. It wasn't. Uh, he 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 rationalizes that later, right? Uh, but um, it was a planet and then at the you time. Have the it's not one of them. Mars and Venus, right? Um, then you have the addition of Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, and Mars. Oh, sorry, Mars was previous. In oh, yeah. you got it. Okay, so like in modern astronomy, uh, he points to the rationalizations of the, uh, oh, geez, what am I thinking of here? Of the asteroid belt uh, that sits between, oh, yes. I forget where exactly, but he into, he posits that, okay, look, this is uh, these, these, these rocks out, these space rocks out here have their own gravity. They've got their own, uh, orbit. They've got their own position. Like they're not independent of each other. They're they were uh, supposedly uh, established by uh, scientists to be a, a, a part of a previous planet that had existed. The problem. Yeah, it also like mathematically or right, whatever. Right, it was like it is where a planet should have been. So he's using exactly. He's using this location. He's using this this uh, area to dis, to ascribe uh, to Tiamat. Um, but what he sort of goes into further detail, or which I can sort of appreciate specifically, he mentions that the problem with this asteroid belt representing Tiamat is that it's not large enough. Like there isn't, there's no way that this amount of uh, debris uh, could, uh, uh, you know, is enough to represent a, a planet, a planetoid. Planet, yeah. So um, that's where he goes back into talking about the. Uh, the uh, Babylonian Genesis. Uh, Marduk, when... Uh, okay, so Apsu, which is the sun again, and Tiamat, you know, have these children. They have, you know, the other planets, basically. Uh, and again, this is the in the establishment of this universe. And while these planets are are have been birthed and they're settling into their, their orbits, I think he calls it... Uh, uh, not tabular destiny, that uh, he calls it... Uh, Oh shit! They're fixed destinies or something like that. Something Tablets like of that. De destiny. It was some. It, okay, so bullshit. like it was a physical object called a ta like a, a tablet of destiny, but uh, it sort of ref like they had another reference to it. But the whole point of that was that they were just using it's their orbit. It's their orbit. Yeah, they're trying they're to like describe. their planethood. Essentially. Yeah, exactly. How they how they move around or live around Apsu, the sun. And while they're establishing themselves, while they're stabilizing, they're very, well, unstable. And uh, all of this activity, all of this uh, vibration, uh, well, he writes it as uh, energy, like as, as like radiation, uh, or rather they're releasing all of this activity. And it's making Tiamat and Apsu very uncomfortable. So they start planning to kill, or rather, I guess, I'm not sure if it was to kill or to subjugate the other planets to bring them under control, I guess, to forcibly stabilize them. The other planets 
get wind of this and freak out. They're like, we need to do something about this. Uh, and that's hey, when they—that's yeah. when they have their own planets. And Marduk comes along, and they elect him to be their. He's—he is—he actually is. The way they describe him, he's the greatest planet of all of them. He is the most kingly. He's the most stately. He's the champion, basically. Yeah, he's—he's—he's yeah. he's he's very tall. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, the planet of Marduk starts its. Uh, Trans, it starts its movement through the galaxy uh, because it is not beholden to Apsu. So he has his own tablet of destiny. He has his own orbit to move through, uh, independent of everyone else. While he's and because he is so powerful, as he's moving through uh, all of the other gods' uh, uh, locations, you know the strength of his presence uh, uh, attracts forces followers. It forces yeah. them to move and and to uh, to. Uh, pay tribute uh, of a sort, I guess, to him in that he starts pulling followers from them in the form of, well, satellites, but he, they, they give them all names. He has like the uh, four winds, I think is the first uh, yeah. set of, uh, of satellites that he pulls or followers that he pulls from, uh, I forget if it was Neptune or Saturn. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was Uranus that he did. It Uranus, you're right. Thank you. you. Earlier. That's right. Yeah. I did. Um, but he got like, I think he got two or three more. Uh, from another planet. And that's why I was mentioning Neptune and Saturn. Like in total, he had about seven, if I'm mistaken. Uh, there was the north, the south, the east, and the west wind. And then there was the evil wind, the tumultuous wind, and uh, one more. I could be wrong, but my, my um, whole there point- There were uh, four winds. Four winds and originally, and then he pulled another- showing like, because I'm, I'm looking at a graphic. It's a uh, figure 107 in the book. Okay. So he does, he, those are the only ones he has. He gets more followers. Uh, was that for his like second pass or whatever? No, no, it was, uh, it was within the first pass. It's because he, he moved within uh, proximity to the other planets as well. And when, when he did this, uh, he did, uh, he did oh, pull in. It did, it did bring four set, brought four, seven satellites. There it is. He, uh, he did. He did gain more followers. His army, so to speak, was. Uh, uh, yeah, it was the four wins and then three more dudes. But yeah, um, I was just trying to from, find their silly names. Ah, uh, he got them. So the chief ones were from Uranus, uh, and then he did get more from Saturn and Jupiter. Uh, three more from them: the evil wind, the whirlwind, and the matchless wind. And so this was his storm. Yeah, and then chariot. when he passed by uh, Saturn's satellite, yeah, that was um, that was Saturn. The Saturn future Pluto, Jupiter. it was lo loosened from its course, as he says. That's right. So, Which was that was that that happened later after he uh, right, was after in the he battle did his first with pass. Right, right after he did his first pass slash well quote unquote fight with uh, with Tiamat. Um, what happened was that his satellites collided with with the planet and killed her. Uh, the way it's explained in 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 the mythology is that uh, Tiamat opened her mouth to uh, either swallow him or I think to breathe fire, and he jammed one of the satellites, one of his winds, into her mouth to hold it open. And while mm. she was immobilized from this act, he, he fucked her mouth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he I believe he shoots her in the stomach with an arrow and sp spills her guts everywhere and kills her. Um. So the act of this, uh, you know, astronomically speaking, he's, you know, the planet passes by and his satellites collide with the planet and, and basically destroy it. Uh, he goes through another orbit 
because at this point he's already he's won. He's uh, his his next orbit though is describing it as a victory lap. He's going to meet yeah. with all the other <laughs> you know everybody else, and he saying, goes and hey, like you know it's like the you know finish him. What's moment. up, guys? Like I did what you did. Now, like you said, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. You know, eat my ass. And um, so when he uh, when he's when he's at the uh, I believe the apogee. That is to say, the furthest point away from Apsu because. I, and I didn't mention this before. Uh, the first thing that all the gods do is they subjugate the sun. They put Apsu to sleep. And that's when yeah. Tiamat is just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you know, that's when they isolate her and then send Marduk in for the kill. So he's coming back at this point. Marduk, uh, uh, that is to say, reaches the apogee, uh, the furthest point away from the sun. Uh, I forget. I think that's right there's apogee and one other to describe the closest point to the sun but anyways um, is, is that pedigree <laughs> <laughs> um so as he's coming back he's coming back uh, again for his victory lap he wants to return to the battleground uh to the the you know the the point where he uh, was at his where he peaked <laughs> um no, he he comes back to sort of start uh, start the business of ruling the universe, kind of thing. Like he starts uh, uh, designating particular deities and and their their holy numbers and locations in the universe. Um, that's when he mentions, or that's when he designates Pluto, which was uh, Gaga, right? Uh, I don't recall specifically what that guy represented, like as far as the. The, the planets or the planetoids or the satellites go. I just know that he was the, um, oh, what was the emissary to the gods? What was the, yeah, what was the phrase, and, dude? But then it was said that, uh, that he loosened its orbit. So I wonder if that was right. like to account for why, you know, right. His, Pluto oh, yes. Again, from, from the astronomy. Into, yeah. I think he writes that, but it's just, yeah. I mean, like, the red, like we're chapter. meant, we're meant to sort of infer that, that like, Again, like these yeah. are these are literal stories. What's really or physically happening that we can see from our our perspective is that the the planet of Marduk is moving close to what will be Pluto, and it upsets its orbit and pushes it out to the uh, edge of the uh, solar system. And I, I thought that it was all a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so. Yeah, so um, Marduk establishes Gaga as Pluto uh, to be the uh, uh, the watcher, right, of all of the other planets, the uh, the outlier, I guess. Um, so he he comes back to uh, he comes back to t uh, Tiamat. Um, at this point, uh, one of so Tiamat had several satellites. She had her own army, right, at the time. And uh, when Marduk comes along and like slams his, uh, you know, uh, metaphorical uh, balls <laughs> uh, into Tiamat, you know, destroying her. Uh, well, it's not metaphorical. I guess it is literal. His satellites, the moons that, f that orbited him were what actually destroyed Tiamat. It wasn't Marduk physically himself. Um, he comes back. Uh, or rather, when he's excuse me, when he's doing that, she she has her own army. She has her own moons. Uh, those moons are all knocked out of orbit, and uh, Marduk uh, actually uh, turns them into comets. Like he fucks their orbits, uh, their their gravity up so much that they're essentially just sort of ejected from the planet on their own. 
I think he calls it a, a, a reverse. Um, oh shit! Uh, well, yeah, like he reverses their 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 position within the universe, their orbit, their location, and so that's that's where those uh, or what happens to them specifically, and also to sort of explain, uh, you know those well that we have comets like though actually those were uh, defeated gods or the de- de- demigods or whatever they're the offspring of tiamat that uh lost the fight and they ran away and uh or symbolically but literally uh marduk sort of shoots them out of the universe uh we'll save one save one uh and the the guy's name was kingu she was uh, mm-hmm. he was excuse me he was um he was, he was Tiamat's general. Uh, Tiamat. uh, right. He was her general. Uh, the, her big, satellite. the big yeah. Baus. He stuck around. Uh, and Marduk uh, punished him, basically. He stripped him of his power, of, of, of any life, and uh, established him as our moon, as the moon of Earth. And uh, Earth itself came about because he decapitates Tiamat. Tiamat's lifeless body is still there floating in, in space. And he uh, up and decides to do something with it, to create the heavens and to create uh, uh, our, our you know, existence as we understand it. So her head that he cuts off uh, becomes Earth. And so Earth is a reincarnation of Tiamat. And... He uh, he designates Kingu as the the uh, the moon to uh, I forget the name the specific name it's uh, something 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 but uh, Kingu's original I believe his original name like was what you said like great emissary or some such uh, and it becomes pot of lead he pretty much strips Kingu of, of of all life and just makes it like a. A, a ball of clay in the sky, which, well, that's pretty much what the moon is. One of the other interpretations, yeah. Um, let me see. I was looking at it here. I want to look for it. Ah. Um, yeah, Tiamat's upper part was thrown into the new orbit as the new planet Earth. We suggest Kingu was pulled along. The moon, again, we suggest, is Kingu, Tiamat's former satellite. This is all, all Sitchin, baby. Um Transformed into the celestial Dugai, Kingu's been stripped of his vital elements, atmosphere, waters, radioactive matter, shrank in size, and became a mass of lifeless clay. Uh, these terms fittingly, Sumerian terms, fittingly describe the moon. Uh, it's recently discovered history and the fate that befell the satellite that started out as Kingu, great emissary, and ended up as Dugai, a pot of lead. Um... And so after Kingu, excuse me, after Marduk establishes the earth and the moon, he takes the remains of Tiamat and spreads that over as the, uh, the asteroid belt. Um, Sitchin uses this example uh, as another parallel, another exam- uh, uh, device to prove his theories uh, as it's mentioned in other religions. Uh, I forget exactly... Where he talks about it in the Old Testament, there are references it in the Old Testament that they directly mention a belt of. Uh, and God said, <laughs> "Let there be lights in the hammered heaven to divide between the day and the night, to let them be celestial signs for the seasons and the day and for the years." Um, 
Yeah, that's that's one of them. He does. Ah, he does. There's another. Yes, specific, um, more specific. The hammered canopy stretched out into the place of Tiom or Tiamat. Yes, uh, they were suspended in the void. His powers, the waters did arrest. His energy, the haughty one did cleave. His wind, the hammered bracelet measured out. His hand, the twisted, uh, twisting dragon, did extinguish. <laughs> um, <and laughs> Tiamat being the dragon. Uh, more of the uh, right. Yes, Tiamat does, is, is a form of the dragon. They, he uses more. The Lord. More examples to suggest or inter- infer Tiamat represents the earth and that Tiamat was always re- referred to as a, a sort of pretty much a water deity. Uh, I think they call it like a watery monster or a watery... Uh, yeah, watery monster, yeah. Um, and the the earth itself is described as a plant, like a, a plant, planet water, uh, an ocean, oceanic planet sort of thing. So... He sort of uses that. Ocean. Yeah, there we go. Mine way sounds fancier. Um, so, yeah, he's just using that to support the theory that Tiamat is the Babylonian representation of Earth or literal, Babylonian literal representation of Earth. Um, and... That's, I mean, Marduk kept moving uh, at this point, and I think he settles into his own orbit, uh, and that specific planet is what he refers to as Nibiru. And that, yeah, being, having thus constructed the stations for the planets, Marduk took for himself station Nibiru yep. and crossed the heavens and surveyed the new solar system. It was now made up of 12 celestial bodies with 12 great gods as their counterparts. Well, Roland, I was going to ask you questions about this uh, myth, but you kind of just went with it. So, the best is <laughs> to stay quiet and let you do it. Very good. <laughs> right. Bravo. So that was uh, chapter seven. That was all chapter seven right there. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely summed up. Can I would have preferred to have read that than what uh, Sitchin wrote. <laughs> Next oh, chapter we're going to go through is uh, chapter eight, The Kingship of Heaven. Um Seems a little bit confusing uh, the way Sitchin presents the information, jumping from a biblical source to, uh, I guess, a Sumerian Mesopotamian source. Yeah. And um, again, it's just more of his cherry picking. He he very much focuses on whatever perspective. And the kingship, I guess, uh, the kingship is supposed to be Marduk, right? Uh, Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to position him within the solar system. Right, as Nibiru. Right. Uh, which is not accounted, or it's just, you know, it's not here kind of thing. Like, he's trying to account for it well. Right. Yeah, and, like, Marduk is only, like, known as Nibiru when it's in a certain location mm-hmm. at, like, the place of the crossing or whatever. Right. And which is kind I of believe the place of the crossing is like when it comes into view of Earth. Uh, that has a figure over here. Ooh. I guess the right here uh, is in 114, the reappearance of the 12th planet. Um, I guess the place of crossing is is that place between uh. 
is it coming in the view of Earth or is it uh, when it's like in alignment with Earth as well? Yeah, it's like within alignment with Earth. Like, uh, yeah. So it says here. Uh, hold on, let me go back this way. Um, the place of crossing the planet is Nibiru Part C, which is the the drawing imaginary axis between the Sun, Earth, and uh, is it perigee? Perigee of Marduk's orbit. Observers on Earth first saw Marduk align as as with, Daniel was joking. Pedigree. Yeah. With Mercury at the, the 30 degree angle, progressing yeah, another 30 um, degrees. Marduk crossed over the orbital So aligned with Jupiter. Mercury, yeah. yeah. Then goes another 30 degrees and crossed the orbital path of Jupiter. Right. And then, then it doesn't say at another 30 degrees, <laughs> it's at the point of the crossing and it becomes Nibiru. Yeah, which is the, the site of the celestial battle, which we just talked about in the previous. Right. So it was closest to Earth, and then it began its orbit back to distant space. So, mm-hmm. yeah, right. And then he goes, mm-hmm. uh, just reading from directly from the book. Uh, it says the the anticipation of the day of the Lord, in which the ancient Mesopotamian and Hebrew writings, which were echoed in the New Testament's expectations of the coming of the kingship of heaven, was thus based on the actual experiences of Earth's people, their witnessing of the periodic return of the planet of kingship to Earth's vicinity. Right, Marduk. Marduk, right. And what, it's supposed to take like, what, 25,000 years he gets to for the orbit of a, orbit cycle of a Marduk? Uh, I actually thought it was 3,500. Yeah, 36? 35. 35. Well... Then what's up with this uh, great year bullshit he brought up? Well, I think that's that's what they referred to it as. Uh, one one of those uh, one of those particular years uh, to us, a great year for them, referred to as a char, it was represented as thirty six hundred of years, our years. Yeah. Um, and the Nephilim supposedly live as many years as we live on this earth. Uh, as 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 they uh, as there are shars. So if somebody lives for seventy years here, they're going to live a, a nephilim would live for seventy shars, which is however much thirty six hundred times seventy is. Right. Um, they use that to describe the uh, the particular kingdoms that the nephilim uh, establish on Earth uh, because they reign for hundreds of thousands of years, and that is that is what explains that. It's because they they're long lived. Uh, <laughs> obviously long-lived compared to, to uh, humans. Uh, he does mention that um, there is speculation for Planet X, that a Planet X yeah. exists. Um, so just is that uh, a 13th? Or what are you, what is, what is that? Uh, well, let me uh, read this paragraph. It says, okay. this may only, this may also be the way in which this, uh, astronomers will discover the 12th planet. And he's mentioning the fact that, oh, uh, okay. that the orbits of known planets um, astronomers found were apparently being affected by other celestial bodies. Mm-hmm. And he had yeah. mentioned before that uh, that planets weren't, some planets weren't discovered visually, but mathematically. Right, yeah. Um, I believe it is that uh, the he, ancient he, civilizations were only dis- able to discover planets up to like Saturn. Yeah, and uh, he, he brings up the fact that the orbit of Halley's Comet could be caused by the size of a planet, the size of Jupiter orbiting the sun every 1,800 years. Sure. It's it's just a... a, a, a I'll, um, uh, I'll bring in an art. I guess an article from Scientific American, which 
talks about the possibility of a Planet X being discovered. Okay. Um, which I, from the magazine I bought like last year or some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll bring that in so we can talk about that as well. Um, the Kingship of Heaven chapter, again, it kind of just goes through, um, I guess, iterations of uh, Marduk and I guess it's Discovery. See. <clears throat> Right, yeah, he he talks about it. It seems to talk about it in in terms of the astronomy. Okay, like uh, its orbit follows this many years, and uh, you can trace. um, What does he trace? Like the great events uh, or whatever uh, to multiples of those thirty six hundred years. He starts with like eleven thousand BC, and then seventy four hundred, and then thirty eight hundred. You know, he does make a, a bit of a jump here. It says, one may ask, of course, whether any of the Nephilim having landed on Earth could remain in command here for the purported 28,800 or 3,600 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it's no wonder scholars speak of the length of these reigns as legendary. <laughs> um, so, he uses these particular multiples of, of, of the shars to coincide with uh, specific events uh, in the Earth's history. He mentions here the deluge of the Old Testament, uh, or attributes it to the Nephilim. Um, what does he say? Uh, reinterprets a biblical reference to 120 years as meaning 120 shar, citing in his proof the Nephilim yeah. ruled for 432,000 years. Um, and from that, he estimates their, the Nephilim first landed on Earth 450,000 years ago. I'm, so I'm, I'm from, uh, at this point here, like I'm, I'm having a look-see at this, this other little summary that, that uh, we found on this chapter, and I've, I guess I have some slight issues with it uh, in that he, uh, Sitchin, uh, apparently argues for the possibility of life off Earth that does not require a sun. Uh, he apparently postulates that a planet can generate its own energy, uh, keeping within it an atmosphere uh, supporting life. Um, right. I'm not very keen uh, or, or specifically knowledgeable enough to understand like the physics involved with that particular form of astronomy. But if I had to make a guess, I would think they'd have to be a pretty fucking big planet to be able to do that. I'm not sure. Uh, but, Does the size of the planet affect? The, well, it would. Af- I would think it would affect it? the amount of energy of the output of that particular planet, and specifically the amount of heat that it would require to be able to sustain its own life. Without well, the presence um, of a sun, without the presence of a sun, that, hu- yeah, oh, without the program, without the presence um, of the sun, but that's assuming have to have that a ton of radioactive shit. Absolutely, going on. absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's like I but said, this then, is just like, my, my like general the Earth, guess. Like it I'm, has a ton of radiation, right? So, like, I'm basing life my on this guess, planet is still dependent with you know on the sun in a lot of ways, right? So, yeah, I, that's a that's a fun point, Roland. Yeah, like I'm. If, and that being said, I'm basing my guess uh, to be more specific on a planet like Earth. It would have to be a terrestrial planet, able to you know, like it has its oceans, its and because as well they they mention here an atmosphere. Uh, well, and what I'm wondering is like why the uh, it would have to be much bigger. Anunnaki, in outside of like their depictions, where they're like supposed to be like in the heavens doing their own thing or whatever, 
sure. or like in the heavens talking to people on earth. Um, you always see like Inanna in her like spacesuit <laughs> that he argues, whatever. Yeah. But so perhaps the fucking Anunnaki, like they needed to set up shop somewhere, or the Nephilim needed to set up shop somewhere else. Earth was the kind of the best they could do. I mean, that kind of makes sense. But they still couldn't live here because that it was of a their initial conditions point. of that. Or so you're, you're suggesting that they had locations outside of our universe. But dude, so if we look back at uh, was it Figure One Fourteen where he shows all or One Thirteen where he shows all or yeah One Fourteen. We're showing the path of um, the path of, of Mardu. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what if whatever's going on with that planet, once it gets nearest the zone of fucking, you know, Jupiter's orbit, what's to say that like the sun doesn't have some sort of a uh, life sustaining effects or whatever, or like it's able to whatever, like the geochemical you mean makeup like of the planet is maybe, maybe it's like a nice little solar charge as it yeah, goes back out right. into space. You know what? If they had the, if, if it, Say say that Marduk is comprised of materials that are like superconductive. Maybe they're harnessing a solar flare. Well, yeah, 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 and like they, it's able to absorb enough energy that it needs to continue on its journey and to support life based on its its but orbit. What I'm curious though is like why? Well, oh, I mean, although like Marduk assigned its own station, but it's still like such say this is a real planet, but its orbit is counter to the rest Everything of our else. solar system. Um, so like. I think again, like he's trying to rationalize how you could have something that is completely opposite to uh, the general standards of the uh, the universe's, uh, I guess, order. Uh, in so the case, then why of, would they and, set up shop on a planet that has the exact opposite conditions of their natural environment? Uh, maybe it's just in that, like, well, I don't know oh, that it's necessarily of petroleum, the opposite. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> it's because they it's they need the they need the good shit. They need that that uh, that Texas tea, and uh, so yeah, they're it's just like, they're maybe jumping ship. Seen the fucking Nephilim come you know back what? because like, this was just a little waypoint so they can launch their exactly. ship to like the next galaxy. They're coming like, here. They're they're like tr they're like teaching all the you know people here like all of their ways. So that they can harvest the living fuck out of all our resources and take their shit back to Marduk, and you know, or meet them back at some point, so that they can support themselves and go, you know, back off. Maybe to they fuck were living in like land. a biodome or something. Well, what if the <laughs> what if the Nephilim uh, figured out a way to like <laughs> harvest our planet? They're like, we have a perfect way to absorb the expended energy from all the petroleum products we taught you guys how to burn. Yeah. So once you've ruined your planets, we're going to get all of our fucking energy in the next like 2000 years. Next time we're around guys, you guys will be dead, but Hey, we'll set up a new earth. It's fine. <laughs> Maybe. Are there any, I mean, like, Sitchin um, does make the argument that at one point, uh, there was a, a decline in humanity in their, uh, in yes. their civilization. And then they had a, a, another, you know, resurgence or whatever. I mean, not to say anything of the dark ages, apparently. Uh, so why not? That's 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 a thing. Uh, is so there any anyways, recorded? Ahead, right? uh, I guess is there recorded evidence at some point in any of the other cultures where there has been a return? 
of oh, uh, like anybody uh, else. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you know, you know, it's weird. Yeah, you know how we have like uh, the, the re- revelation. It's supposed to be the return of like uh, oh, Jesus Christ and all that kind right. of shit. Yeah, but like, uh, oh, it, like well, in any like, other sort of culture, allegedly Quetzalcoatl was supposed to return to the Aztec and That's other true. groups that used him. Um, I think. Uh, can't remember anything out of like Indian mythology, but I mostly just ignore that shit because it's mm-hmm. like what the Spaniards said, the Inca thought, right. and then some of it's like what the Inca thought or what the Spanish said that the Inca said about groups before them. Mm-hmm. And I don't buy in that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But as far as like mythologies of like return of like, you know, the gods or whatever, um, I'm not super up on. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'm not either. So but, I mean, we could just do like a quick Google search or whatever at some point and be like, okay, well, like, I mean, cause we, and I mean, and there are occurrences of like, like Osiris got moitered and then was reconstructed oh, and came back or whatever. I mean, sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. all still based in the same like pantheon of sorts that the Sumerians allegedly had. But definitely, but we can say definitely like the Babylonians and later groups, you know, thought these things. Um, um, so that I'm reading of this chapter here, uh, it sort of refers back to. Uh, the previous chapter in that, again, Marduk created Earth from the remains of Tiamat uh, and uh, essentially seeded the planet. That is when he takes credit, because Marduk was also given uh, credit uh, by the Babylonians as the creator of humanity, uh, the bringer of life to Earth. And so that's where Sitchin again... um, Postulates that the Nephilim uh, came about seeding seeding the, the the planet of Earth. Uh, mm-hmm. You know th- that is to say, Marduk passed through. You know, did whatever the hell he did. Planted some planted some grain, and you know, grew some crop and baked some bread and all that cheese. And here we are. Um, Thanks, some humans. <laughs> specifically, uh, or rather. Uh, to des- to describe in like the in, in astronomical terms, I guess uh, Marduk uh, rather Shar uh, collided with Tiamat or Earth, and uh, from those from that collision, uh, we were given the building blocks of life, like uh, science uh, purports uh, biological molecules may have arrived, and that developed into isn't that what um, I guess science claims now like there was a collision and then as everything spreads apart and like building blocks of life kind of like just happen to either yeah well yeah, i mean yeah, like earth kind of like single cell organism yeah like as earth about. was kind of like spinning like everything kind of like right came together yes. and then you have like the it was, moon it was spinning uh and it was heating up and then eventually as it stabilized uh it settled into the specific uh i guess petri dish <laughs> That we what that that was needed but, to support uh, life. But what what um what created the Nephilim though? 
in that case. Well, I mean, like, if you're supposed to believe the Sumerians, the other planets created the uh, tertiary planets, not the not the uh, primary four planets. It was uh, it was Neptune, it was Uranus, it was Saturn, it was Jupiter uh, that created Marduk. Right, and uh, that is to say, Marduk the basically comet planet, I guess, uh, sort of broke off from somewhere or took uh, took form uh, from the planets themselves, from right. the outlier planets themselves, and then was able to, you know, come about with all of the rest of this. Okay, so uh, chapter nine, landing on planet Earth. From my recollection, I believe that this is just this is this the one where they're talking about like uh, they landed on Earth. Unless I'm jumping ahead to chapter ten, um, the Earth looked different that they landed here on an ice age. Right. Okay. Was, so uh, landing on planet Earth, yeah. So um, when the Nephilim, you know, like four hundred fifty thousand years ago, whenever they were supposed to show up. Um, we were in like the full throes of an ice age or whatever, or maybe like a post-glacial period where like things were starting to set back. But um, the planet looked different. Uh, sea levels were like 600, 700 feet lower. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more uh, land area or mm-hmm. land surface visible. And um, he... Well, first, shit, because in this chapter, before he even gets to, he goes into all the shit about the Babylonian New Year Festival and how the processions of the gods in their various order is like representative of or like a retelling in mythological form of the path that the 12th planet takes as it's nearing the planet earth. Um, as opposed to like the generally accepted, uh, interpretations of, of, you know, the new year celebration across most civilizations. And then Daniel, right, where, where they're basically some, uh, their, their agricultural, like harvest, harvest festivals, festivals, like fertility, yeah, exactly. you know, celebrations or whatever. Um, the new cycle of, you know, this is shit reserved for like the end of the episode, but, the Babylonian New Year Festival, when I did look it up, because I was like, well, this is curious. Yeah. Um, and apparently linguistically, like the way that the the mainstream scholars um, talk about it is that uh, the it's like the Babylonians call it like the Akitu or something like that, um, or a Kiku festival. What the fuck is it? Akitu, yeah. Um, pronunciation um, unknown. But it relates to an earlier Sumerian word for barley and related to the two periods of year where it was like the planting of the barley and then the the harvesting of the barley. And Sitchin misrepresented uh, when the celebration starts because it's always like the first day of spring. So it was like always set or whatever. But the stuff I was looking at was talking about how it's like would start like anywhere between like the first and like the fourth day of spring. Right. Yeah. Because they're not going to be able to say like, Oh, it feels kind of warm. Let's have a party. No, they're going to want to be like, maybe this is just like a, 
you know, like a fluke or whatever. And then the next day they get hit with a, and they're probably also like, you know, relating that to like, like yeah. the movements of the cosmos as they can observe them. And also the developments of like, the barley in relation to all of that. Like at the end of the week um, kind of thing. And then the seasonality of it. Friday um, party. But, but it was initially like, or it's suggested that it was a time, like it was a new year festival. Yeah, sure. But it was, you know, linked to barley production where it was like planting versus harvesting times of year. Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh, yeah. No, I was going to say like, just uh, going through this, these chapters and stuff like that. Um, the fact that Sitchin is trying to pose a literal interpretation of this uh, creation and whatnot. But it's also referred to the fact that uh, these characters are like the moon, the earth, and stuff like that. So that kind of, I, I feel that kind of like kills the literal uh, interpretation of uh, this story in general. So, I mean, it's just a kind of a metaphorical uh, version of whatever he's talking about. Like as far as like the... Well, uh, like... He- I, I mean, I, I can't see as like... I, Ia or Enki or Enlil or as like actual beings and not just the meta- metaphorical version of oh, the actual so earth and stuff like that. He, oh, no, no, I get that. Like, so he like, uses the metaphorical right. information to make a literal interpretation of sorts. No, 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 but, what, no? but I think what Ray may be getting at is like all of this stuff that Sitchin is tying together or maybe he's stitching together. I'll make sure I'm throwing the drum thing on that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's just for you, Ray, baby. Yeah. yeah. There it is. Um, <laughs> but um, what I think you're trying to drive at is that you don't see these as actually being figures that are real like it's a explanation for like how the cosmos is right but not but where we get aliens from that's exactly, where yeah. you're yeah right because like it seems like it's like this nice little oh. like, okay well these little sure. silly stone throwing right, right, pyramid right, right, right. building idiots you know they just related the cosmos in this way and that's accurate yeah and yeah. actually so, they predicted this other planet that right. you know I, we haven't detected yet, but fuck, they might be right because they've been right about all these other things. Um, so where but then I they jump to okay, landing ahead. on the planet and aliens coming down and doing shit? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I don't see that link. The reason, yeah. the, no, the reason why I don't see that link, it, it, you're that's true though. Like, no, you're absolutely correct. The reason I don't see the link is for the simple fact that he refers to them as he refers to the aliens as Nephilim, which is a like a biblical reference, and so like. Uh, for him, that's the reference to the angels, or yeah, you know, in that particular so context. From the Bible, so it's not it's exactly like, right. Yeah, God made the heavens or whatever, but he's not trying to demonstrate that. <sighs> Fuck, Sitchin, man. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that, that's where that's where I'm getting the. He's not trying the, the to demonstrate that like these are necessarily There's, like there lies and lies a few confusion of his explanation because i mean he's using the bible and the bible has is supposed to be and some interpretations a literal representation you have uh the angels which are the nephilim here right and uh, i mean you have god you have jesus you have the whole all, all these other little figures that are supposed to be literal right technically and then you he's explaining these characters as as relating yeah, to, as relating these to them other but, guys that actually 
that are represented by these other guys that are actually represented yeah. by these other guys. But don't forget, and it's it literal. Sumeria and, yeah. okay, here's the initial set of figures right, or whatever, the first but they're real. Yeah, but they're represented by the planets. So, I mean, like, yeah. if we see these things... Earth is uh, has this name, and then you have the of course you have the moon, He's, which is and they'll um, they lose it because I'm, I'm sorry, like uh, and those the Earth, and then the Enki is the moon. Like it's all all these names associated with actual planets, kind of kills the the literal interpretation of these right. beings. So it it is kind of is absolutely funky because he's using a literal representation of several iterations of interpretations of specific uh, Daniel's, parallels um, in these in mentioning these, earlier these the copy people. of a copy of a copy. Yeah. It just, yeah. That's what it is. Like it, yeah, it definitely fucky. Um, but if sure. the Nephilim came down and told people what was up, why are they gods? Why are they not just like, Hey man, we're dudes that have all this cool shit to show you. And uh, we just asked you to do some shit for us on occasion, but hey, here's how to build all these great pyramids and look at these great cities we already set up for you to model I mean, after. I mean, and so you have even more areas set up I for us only, to come hang out with you with, at. You I know? can only make the well, assumption. Like, they can only make the assumption that they refer to them as gods because they're an existence beyond, or seem to be an existence beyond human. Well, but then that goes, oh, come that's, from the oh, heavens. then stupid humans again and can't do yeah, anything no, without exactly. the help of the fucking Nephilim. No, well, yeah, it's, it follows into the logic trap, but... I think that's maybe one any, that supports his any own, any creators like what considered he's, a god. What he's putting forth, yeah, yeah that's basically no, it. Yeah, right? like any that's, creators that's considered a god. You know, guys, I think we we did a first in because I've I've listened to quite a few podcasts related to the Anunnaki and stuff, but no one's ever like directly questioned like, okay, um, how do you make these leaps to demonstrating that these early cultures knew what was going on with space and time and yada, yada, yada. But then you just jump to visitors. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I guess that's the problem with the whole thing. And I, and like, I, I, I love these theories. They're super fun. And, um, there's some, uh, discussions of, you know, Aryans that I think are, interesting and potentially tenable um like that one book that i hope we can get to about you know like how you know the, like the time or writ large the like time traveling astronaut hypothesis right mm -hmm. um uh, but yeah so i, I mean um, i was going with that but um <laughs> that that's um as, as this one's just it's just no, I mean, like, you weren't necessarily going anywhere with it. It was more of a, like a statement about... Uh, Again, I, I think that that's at the fault of uh, Sitchin here because, I mean, he's jumped so many times. Um, yeah, to, to question a, a or to quote a great um, law enforcement official, I want to believe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Sitchin's making it very hard using his own data set to make his own case. Right, right. And and I like, think I think um, and I find that's absurd. Like if if he had simplified things a little bit more, maybe his point would have come across a bit easier. I, I don't even think it's really about simplification, really, because I think it's this leap. Because he keeps talking about how the Sumerians did all these things, mm -hmm. but once again, it's that kind of like poor scholarship where he. 
And yes, there is less that we know about the Sumerians. So by proxy, we or we use the you know, the Hittites and all their dickheads as proxies. Mm-hmm. But uh, how do you get the aliens? Like? <laughs> and and then and then so how do you get the aliens? And then so okay, so accepting that these dudes are aliens, they're actually coming to visit every like thirty six hundred years or whatever. Um. Why the fuck is their like technology so crappy? Like, why can't they just have like one ship that you know can come down and they they can travel through the like? Well, actually, oh fuck, I'm wrong because I suggested that the Anunnaki's technology is crappy because Sitchin keeps comparing it to our tech. However. Later in the book, when he's talking about when uh, Marduk is coming nearby, the Anunnaki still have to fire a ship from it. So I would suggest that if they did live on this 12th planet or whatever that comes around every once in a while, that their technology is not hyper advanced, that it is very akin to ours because where you know, the, the place of crossing is or whatever. And that's where mm-hmm. Sitchin says like nearing the place of crossing, that's where they, you know, deploy the little ship. Right. That's not a very long trip. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Cause it's, it's right, right in front of earth like, or right near earth. Um, well, and then their, de- and then their dependence on petroleum. So like maybe actually support, you know, or it would support, you know, our, like our style of rockets. Well, yeah, um, I had mentioned to Roland that. Oh no, Sitchin was right. Well, <laughs> no, that, that Sitchin is 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 only uh, using the technology of the time to to reference or to make comparisons because, I mean, he had no other way of interpreting how they either were traveling from place from sure back did. and forth. Well, I mean, Star Trek came out in 1963. <laughs> well, there you go. He's using that as well. But I mean, uh, what Not kind really. of, what kind of propulsion are they, are they using for that in Star Trek? Like how are Warp they traveling? Technology, man. Yeah. But well, I, I guess, using, like, I, I guess it's using it's, like plasma energy and shit. Well, Sitchin like, uh, believes that that is, that's like, fake. They don't have like Scotty down in the engine room <laughs> shoveling coal <laughs> in the fucking well, steam engine. Sitchin believes that that's fake, you know, because that's on TV. So that's not real. So, so they can't hit warp five in the early shows because Scotty can't fucking shovel that fast. He's like, you know, I'm giving it all I got, you know, and he's fucking just, you know, working at max speed, but you know, he ain't Superman. Um, in this chapter, he is going through all the, the calculations <laughs> allegedly, uh, that were, um, that his brother, uh, came up. Yeah. His brother with. did some math for him. Yeah. And and of course, uh, Sitchin is also saying that all the scholars that came before him just aren't in agreement and they don't know. Says there has never yeah, been a full and, agreement and among scholars. That, like, it, yeah. it also like fucks up his case for me. Um, sorry to cut you off. I see you no, no, no. like trying to work out your your thoughts, uh, but um, and I guess I need to work out mine. Um, oh yeah, but once again, um, he hurts his own case when he brings his own evidence to bear, and he just says. Most scholars disagree. Yeah. And that's all he talks about. He doesn't, yeah. but he doesn't discuss like 
alternative hypotheses and why they're incorrect, even if it's just a quick aside, right. you know, but he'll go like, oh, here's what all these, you know, modern scholars think about this and scientists. And he's like, but what if we call it a rocket ship instead? Right. Then the whole interpretation changes. Um, and he also does the same sort of linguistic gymnastics, I think kind of honestly, but it does also just kind of like, maybe he's wrong. Um, cause at one point he's like, okay, what if we interpret the, uh, like Sumerian fragments of tablets we have, um, not from like the Babylonian uses of like word signs, but as word syllables or whatever mm-hmm. that the Sumerians allegedly used. And then you have all of the uh, shit where he goes into the our light, our light, our light, change, 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 observe yeah. path and high ground, flat land, mm-hmm. rocket, 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 rise, guide, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 20, 20, 22, 22. Like, it's all this like crazy shit. And so, and I'm trying to think, so he also doesn't like, so he's like this, you know, expert in, you know, deciphering Sumerian nonsense. Right. But he just gives these, these really like weird, you know, vapor clouds, no vapor clouds, rocket, rocket, pile up mountain, mountain, Set, 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 set. And then there's some shit that he does not p- translate, like uh, kebab, kebab, anu. It's fucking frustrating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Na, 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 na. Ah, na, ah, na, nu. Along the descending line. Sha, 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 sha. Along the circumference. Sham, sham, bur, bur, ker. Along the horizontal line. Um, it's on the page closest to the figure 122 where he's like doing all these breakdowns, but it's like, okay, what the fuck are you even trying to get at, dude? Like I can write la, 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 and say that, you know, um, two plus two equals five based on that interpretation. Um, I mean, the only thing I could say to that jumping in here pretty fucking late is that, uh, I, those tablets that you're re- referring to or that he uses here uh, says that he tries to read them not as Assyrian word signs, but as Sumerian word syllables. No. Yes, yes, yes. And so, but my question is, how does he take all of these like word symbols that are identical and then generate different words from them? One of the segments, it's meaningless syllables. Magic. Well, like it's weird because like he I, like I'm just reading specifically here, but it says pretty much exactly what you're saying. It's meaningless syllables literally spring to meaningfulness if we enter the Sumerian meaning of these words syllables. Yeah, but like, the thing is, like, but that, still, there's it doesn't the really make any sense. Like, he's, it's like a contradiction of itself. Uh, no, yeah, like I again, yeah. So like, it's like I, this is I, completely legible. Ish, according to like the Babylonians, <laughs> maybe it it's my narrative. Sha, sha, sha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <Sa-ha. laughs> nah. like wow, how dare you? Like, my mother was a saint, yeah, <laughs> yeah, understand any like, of this shit, but he doesn't give us like any sort of like breakdown. He's like, okay, 
in this sequence of like word syllables or word symbols, whatever he says the Sumerians used, yeah, like in this spacing or in this orientation of them, blah, blah, blah. Ipso facto is you know, a map. They mean this. Yeah. It's a you route know, just map. Kind of, because it's just also, it just goes back to that whole like, trust me guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, brother Sitchin would not lie to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, throughout this text, uh, he mentions that, after all the, the calculations and that his brother helped, uh, well, what he says right here. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, see, uh, the, space, the spacecraft of the Nephilim was probably launched from the 12th planet in the direction of the 12th planet's probably. own orbit, but well ahead of the arrival of the Earth's vicinity. Based on these and a myriad of other factors, two alternative trajectories for the spacecraft were worked out for us by Amnon Sitchin, doctor of aeronautics and engineering. Um, the first trajectory would call for a launching of the spacecraft from the 12th planet before it reached the, is it the Apogee? Apogee. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the farthest uh, point out. But the, 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 one, the yeah. one thing I, I did want to say, like, um, and he goes into like talking about all that stuff, but it says, based on the complex technical data, as well as hints in the Mesopotamian text, it appears that the Nephilim adopted for their Earth missions <laughs> yeah. the same approach NASA adopted for the moon missions <sighs> when the principal spaceship reared the target planet Earth, it went into orbit around the planet without actually landing. Instead, a smaller craft was released from the mothership and performed the actual landing. So again, he's, he's using so I want to go back to one modern of technology figures. for that. 121, where he spends all this time talking about how like this is representation of oh. Marduk being in between the seventh planet and the sixth planet. And, oh, and earlier in this chapter, he talks about how, you know, the way that the Sumerians ordered the planets or whatever, they counted, you know, backwards. So not out towards the cosmos, but like from the, from Marduk in. Um, so they're talking about how like, so it's, so this accounts for why like the seventh planet and the sixth planet. So like us and Mars are separating or are currently the a a and c points and b is the symbol of the winged globe yes that is argued to be uh marduk right within several um, several belief systems it's it's not just the apparently that's a motif that follows through through several yeah cultures. but he spends so much time explaining all these elements but then he doesn't talk about that little triangle, three dots, and two lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one right in the center. Yeah, towards the bottom. Yeah, and he missed an opportunity because right then he could have talked about how this was the fucking ship that he was talking about that was actually launched from the 12th planet. All right, so that smaller uh, image is supposed to be the the smaller craft that is coming from the mothership. I don't think he ever said that. No, I'm just I'm, I'm just making the assumption here. That yeah, that's yeah, what he's yeah, interpreting. Like, that, that would be like the leap, but I don't remember him. And I read through this again today, like in detail, because I was like, dude, he never brings that up. Yeah. But then he could have been like, oh, look at this perfect little landing craft with little, like, you know, is ready to land just like our own moon exploration vehicles. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't fucking do that. 
so it's another one of those like cases of like, oh, like, let me explain. 65% of what is in an image, but there's actually like 15% of this image that would, you know, really bolster my claim. The rest of this isn't important. That I don't address. <laughs> okay. Look, I just need the part. He just needs the part that explains his theories and the rest of it is, this is up to your interpretation. But that would have fit into his theory. 12th planet. It only makes sense. If you don't fired think about it. earth, you know, um, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But no, let's just ignore that. And he doesn't talk about that little like fish thing next to it either, because he could have taken an opportunity to go like, well, we if just, we go back to figure one twenty one, we could talk about we can see that this was for water landings. Because why would this thing be near a fish? We just need the meat and potatoes of this of this. <gasps> this would be part of his. Fucking taters. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> taters. Potaters. No. This, you're you're talking about. There's an agreement with like you're what talking he gets about, onto in the next, this uh, chapter I mean, and the from, next. From Sitch's perspective. fucking right? ignores it. Yeah. This is bullshit, Apparently, Sitchin doesn't like fucking carrots or cabbage <laughs> or onions or none of that shit. He just needs, needs just the meat. Just needs the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. He had the meat. Forgetting the other part. Nope, that's taters. all you need, all right? <laughs> taters is great. They, they, yeah, they so and much fucking Sitchin was just like, nah, we can dine you on roast carbs, beef alone. Right. Protein <laughs> only, baby. Got to get them gains. Metaphor- those uh, <laughs> metaphorical Nephilim gains. Um, Strong bones. and. I, I imagine we can go into the next uh, chapter. Oh, if you unless you have anything to add from Yeah, just nine. at the last um, bit of the chapter. Um, yes, go ahead. As difficult as as difficult as accurate landings were, the departures from Earth must have been even trickier. The landing craft had to rejoin its mothership, which then had to fire up its engines and accelerate to extremely high speeds, for it had to catch up with the twelfth planet, which by then was passing its perigree between Mars and Jupiter at its top orbital speed. Dr. Sitchin has calculated that oh, these were what? three points in the spaceship's orbit of Earth Jesus that lent themselves Christ. to a thrust towards the planet the twelfth planet. Um. So it's like, well, there's like three points where apparently somehow space speeds up the spacecraft, but not everything else that's in. Like I, I don't get it, man. <laughs> you don't need to know. Doctor Stitchin did the work so for this us. This was their. This was their window of success. Wouldn't it be great if his brother actually didn't exist and it was just like him, like in a like. <laughs> With like a mustache, like a fake mustache, yeah. and like his hair is usually combed to the right, but then he combed his. I'm like, Zacharias' the brother, Zecharua, and I say he's a bit of a he's a bit of a hermit. So we right. only have this one image of him. Exactly, <laughs> just him I haven't with a seen mustache. him in six years myself. He's changed letters. <laughs> yeah, he's very reclusive. And I, as a loving brother, allow him his privacy. Okay, so chapter 10, City of the Gods. I'm just going to read the first paragraph, or the opening paragraph. It says, The story of the first settlement of Earth by intelligent beings is a breathtaking saga no less inspiring than the discovery of America or the circumnavigation of Earth. It was certainly of greater importance for, as a result of this settlement, we and other civilizations exist today. Um, it opens up with um, 
Marduk's uh, reasoning for traveling to Earth, uh, according to, I guess, uh, the tablets here. So it says, when from the heavens for assembly you shall descend, there shall be a rest place for the night to receive you all. I will name it Babylon, the gateway of the gods. <laughs> and so then it goes into the reasoning for it, which it's kind of just no reason at all. In the deep above, where you have been residing, the kingly house of above have I built. Now a counterpart of it I shall build in the below. I'm just making another one. (laughs) (laughs) You go, this place is cool, but we need a summer house. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Yeah, and uh, just there could have been a really cool argument that Sitchin could have made there where it's like, um, the reason they said the second station, and he does talk about like the resources, but he could have gone to this whole thing about how like, you know, Marduk had been around for so fucking long that, you know, it kind of, a, it got into a situation that we're going to approach at some point where they've exhausted their fossil fuels. Right. And they're like, well, fuck, let's go find some more. Yeah. But Sitchin explains that uh, this is, wasn't supposed to be just a quick visit, but a permanent home away from home. Right. Real. Fuck it. Let's make another yeah, exactly. home base. And this is where we uh, get into the fact that uh, when they first came to Earth, Earth was in the midst of an ice age. Well, yeah, it was in the second glacial period. Right. So, and you know, there's. We talked about this before the episode, but this this chapter has the but whys. Yeah, and right. this owes a little bit to the. Stuff that Roland was talking about earlier was like, you know, how could this this planet, you know, survive without like a sun, basically, in closest proximity? So then we think about, you know, different forms of life that could exist in the universe. Right. Um, Non-carbon based So Sitchin goes, uh, they searched, no doubt, for a place with a relatively temperate climate where simple shelters would suffice and where they would where they could move about in light working clothes rather than in heavily insulated suits. So I said, why? What? They must have had search for water for drinking, washing, and industrial purposes, as well as to sustain the plant and animal life needed for food. Why? <laughs> yeah. Like, why don't they have a, what, if all what the of hell the is- other planets are so fucking different in our solar system, how is it that Marduk and earth have conditions that the Nephilim find desirable. If that makes any right. sense. Like, oh yeah. Why, if, why, why don't they life, have if, the, uh, just what we know about the cosmos, even at the time that Sitchin's writing, why would another planet need resources from earth? Yeah. Uh, they're still running on Like, like we said before, they're, they're the fucking cowboys of outer space. They're still running on fossil fuels and natural. I mean, gas. there's all this shit like it on the moon that like, we don't, why don't they, don't they have fucking need? Uh, Daniel? What was that fucking object, dude, in Star Trek that they used? It was like a microwave, and they'd push like a few buttons, and it would spit the replicator, out. Replicator, dude. Thank you. Fucking. Why don't they have a goddamn replicator? Bloop, bloop, bloop. Fucking, fucking turkey time. Dude, they need, you guys are still burning fossil fuels, baby. Bloop, yeah, I was gonna say they need petroleum. Yeah, they need petroleum. They still have money too. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, those savages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On you bucks. Mm. Hey, yeah. can I borrow five of news from you? Oh, I only got an animal, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it says here that the Nephilim would hardly have ignored another need 
the source for fuel and energy. And on Earth, petroleum has been a versatile and abundant source of energy, heat, and light, as well as a vital raw material for which yeah. countless of essential goods are made. In the 70s. <laughs> Right. The now we're industrial kind of, revolution. Now kind of And then you just follow that up by like saying like why why the you know modern why the Near East, why modern day Iran, Iraq, and these areas. Mm-hmm. So apparently the Nephilim were scouting around. Not only is Earth got what they want, around. but they want, you know, they're lazy. Mm-hmm. They want easy access to a bunch of it. So that's true. I mean, he first talks about how um, anything to say they couldn't have gotten all of these resources from another damn planet. Why? He's like, you know, there's like three places pretty much where there's a decent amount of water, like there's river sources and petroleum sources. Mm -hmm. So he said the Indus Valley was probably a place to last because it's not an area where oil could be found. Um, The Nava Valley was probably given a second place uh, because it lies because there's oil hard to get to, though. But <laughs> in the land of the two rivers, Mesopotamia, that shit's everywhere. You know, we're we're still fighting wars over that shit. Yeah. You know? right. Um way to go. But um so that's all cool, right? But it's like if these guys are so fucking advanced, wouldn't they just have technology to yeah. extract that shit? You know, just Send down the space laser as yeah. we're passing by, yeah. and then we'll just you know suck it all up through a hyper tube or something and call it good. But like that's again nah, falling into make the, the Anunnaki and make them fucking mine for us. That's, the that's, that's making like, the heavy assumption of a, we gotta like trick a, up our sleep, which we'll get into the next episode. Right. But <laughs> I mean, um, you're 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 falling into the logic trap yourself, Daniel. You're making the heavy assumption that like based on uh, the Anun the Nephilim's, uh, you know, capabilities of space travel, they should already have access to all of this hoity-toity, fancy-pants, advanced shitola. Uh, there, okay. really, there really is no standard. There really is no standard. Okay, so staying in my little uh, circular logic of reason, oops, um, <laughs> a little later in the book, or later this chapter, um, he talks about, um, like, where Eden is. Right. Um and so he goes back to uh, the Bible and uh, talks about the network of four rivers or whatever. And the name of the third river was uh, Hedekal, uh Tigris. And it is the one which floweth towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth was the Euphrates or the Euphrates. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so then, while opinions regarding the identity of the first two rivers, uh, Pishon, Abundant, and Gibbon, which gushes forth, are inconclusive, there's no uncertainty regarding the other two rivers, the Tigers of the Euphrates. He's like, let's not even try to find these other rivers. <laughs> let's not say, hey, there's this, there's like seven rivers near the fucking Tigers and Euphrates. Fuck them. And maybe it's this one. Maybe it's this one. No, there's none of that. Just like, we don't know. <laughs> or like, I don't know. It's not worth investigating, even though I'm gonna fucking break down, you know, all this like old school, like ancient pottery and shit and like <laughs> interpret all of it, but I won't have due diligence to try to like look at a fucking map and go, maybe it was here. No. <laughs> maybe this the one. You know. Pishah. Fuck you. 
God, it just angers me, man. Just like these, yeah. these moments where he just could really just, you know, fucking sell his fucking oh, yeah. argument. Yeah. And he goes, eh, it's okay. Back to the Babylonians. <laughs> you know? Do you get to some point, like when he's, when he's writing this, uh, this book, or these chapters, like he just gets tired of trying to like, because he would have to keep on going. Butt. Well, he would have to keep on delving deeper into a lot of these, uh, uh, yeah, all this information, yeah. and it wouldn't yeah. just be like if he's making a point, then he'd have to prove like uh, a proof of that <laughs> argument or whatever. More words, okay, and then proof of but that because I mean, talking about the guy uh, who wrote a series of six books. Yeah. You know what? Maybe he goes into one like amazing volume of all we need to know. Imagine because I guarantee that about haven't gotten ninety six percent of the stuff he's going to talk about in this book does not come up in like his following books. I haven't. haven't You know what? Like I I can only make the assumption that if he writes the following books like this, it's going to be just a lot more fucking. Shallow assumptions yeah. on. Sh- well, he opens up like, his his second you know, book. I think I talked about this in the first oh, episode man. that we did on this, but he starts talking about That's the fucking you know, epic of Gilgamesh, and he's looking for like yeah. the tree of life. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and so stairway to heavens, like, so it's gonna come back to some of the stuff, like I guess, like Adapa and Enoch and all those dickheads that were supposed to like go up into the heavens or whatever. Um, but in his uh. So yeah, right. I guess like he would have to keep like deep diving, deep diving, deep diving into bullshit. But then he he had plenty of tries to support his argument. And I talked about this it. earlier with with you guys when he's talking about uh, how there's uh, the text do in fact mention that some of the Abgal, which are like it's an epithet for the gods, um, the Abgal who navigated the spaceships were dressed as fish. One text right. in Ishtar's Divine Journeys quotes her. Basically, she's trying to find a downed submarine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or like a downed spaceship that's now in the water. But there's no mention of fish stuff. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, let's just, in the same paragraph, some random Greek dickhead transmitted legends regarding Oanes, um, a god who made his appearance from you know, a sea which bordered Babylonia in the first year, the descent of kingship from heaven. And then Barosius reported that though Oanus looked like a fish, he had a human head under the fish head. He had feet like a man under the fish tail. And his, his language was like, it sounds know, like a person cosplaying as a fish. I don't, I don't but understand. Then he goes, kind of okay. Like fish furry. Then there the three Greek historians through whom we know of what this Barosius guy wrote. So you've got like, he said, she said bullshit, (laughs) but then he doesn't go in to talk about like these Greek historians and how they affirm that Barosius even wrote this. And he would just need a paragraph to do this. He wouldn't really need enough time, like devote like a whole like, you know, chapter to it. It just, there's just so many missed opportunities for him to just go, okay, here's this claim. A little snippet of how I know this. And you can go look up the rest. Nope. But he doesn't do that throughout this fucking book. And yeah. so this is why people don't believe in the Anunnaki, man. They still keep going to church. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> 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 because, that, because motherfuckers can't cite for shit. Yeah. Apparently. 
That's yeah, uh, I think. I mean, that's a we mentioned that before. Like com- he, he could have had, like any any sort of like citations. Like I don't see them, man, anywhere in this fucking book. You know. Yeah, you know, I said in the first episode, this was like a compilation of his notes. I take that back. Like, where the fuck are his references? <laughs> like, uh, where? Uh, come on, man. This is like trying to get away from from making the trying to stay objective here, right? Uh, with this, but. There's just not enough supporting information that I mean, you would expect yeah. for a book of this goddamn breadth. I'm, and so, I just importantly, they also like the placement of these cities of the gods. Um, he did do a neat little job talking about like, it's, it's, okay, it's good reading. It's interesting. Why would they Amusing. place these Amusing. you know sites here? And he started relating it to the geography and the lay of the land. He's like, okay, yeah. here's these rivers. Right. Here's these mountains. You know, these mountain peaks, you know, dominate the landscape. So they'd be something you could sight into. Sure. And then with the specific layout of the sites themselves, they would align to kind of like allow like a landing strip kind right. of, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like a sky landing they strip where yeah. apparently the Nephilim needed narrative. a fucking runway. Um to land and take off, but not take off actually. Cause it was like our like modern, like rocket silos or whatever. Cause that's what right. the, uh, it's what they used. The structures on the ziggurats that people made were supposed to be for little housings for the, the rockets. And then the, the Eagles were there like protecting them. So the astronauts were there like doing shit. And then, um, so all of these sites were also, they were not just like residences, but they were also, uh, Sitchin argues, uh, like mission control, like a la NASA mm-hmm. for the Nephilim coming to the Earth. Like, because not only were rocket ships stored in these little places at these sites, but also the Mies or the Mez, however it's pronounced, but so which Sitchin argues are the spacesuits and that commands were uttered from this space. And so, but I wonder about that. Like if the Nephilim did their site choices so precise as to use features of the landscape to know where the fuck they're going, why didn't they some dickhead on a radio tower going like a little to the left (laughs) 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 too Um, fast, you know, like, you mean the divine communication boxes? Yes. <laughs> uh, but um, so, yeah, so like these were not just like, you know, residents were the gods and they came down. Um, and then like, oh, fuck, and they're supposed to be like permanent residences. So like, why do we not at least have like Ninersog, you know, hanging out, you know, over in Iran going like, wait, guys, this is our oil. <laughs> no, there were no other guys. Yeah, why, they why isn't were uh, the they were the going to OPEC meetings to renegotiate <laughs> like the Anunnaki's fucking you know vig on the world supply of oil? Well, it's not like anyone outside of the Sumerians knew how to use that stuff. So, do the Anunnaki still need us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. You know, uh, 
dude, maybe they're upset. There's always, there's out. always, there's always got to be a, there's always got to be somebody that, that digs a ditch, that digs up the shit. So yeah, that's us, dude. Yep. <laughs> got it. <laughs> um, they yeah, gonna so, fuck, uh, they're not gonna fucking do that. No way. Uh, that's. There's a bit here. Um, I mean, there is a. So, like, once the Anunnaki got here, or the Nephilim got here, rather, yeah. Um, they put in work to make this play, make the, at least the Tigers Euphrates area, uh, actual, actually hospitable for living. You know, they drain marshes and stuff to try to like allegedly make water more potable. Um, they, yeah. So the effort to dredge the beds of streams and tributaries to allow a better flow of the waters was intended to drain the marshes, obtain cleaner potable water and implement controllable irrigation. Um, sure. But then, I'm thinking about like humans that are oh, humans <laughs> that are living in Sumeria and in these areas over time, having to maintain a whole system of dikes and shit, sure, to control the flooding. Right, but there's because no talk they, about they, this that the Anunnaki were doing it. Originally, set foot in a swamp, and then they drained it. Well, yeah, they drained but, it. Yeah, but to but do that, then, they these have rivers to have, are still going to flood exactly. and fuck up their. They like, have to have their irrigation uh, upkeep of their irrigation system to keep. This so arable. I guess the I guess the Nephilim weren't that fucking smart and couldn't figure out a system, or or maybe they were just stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, Oh, no, I mean, you know, so like initially the Anunnaki or sorry, the Nephilim, like you call them Anunnaki, those are the lower gods, they, but they, just, they, they got to settle in the program because uh, like there's kind of writ large as like the Anunnaki. Um, right. There's nothing but the Nephilim, past that. When they talked about, you know, initially they had water landings yeah, and then they would take a waterborne craft from that pod to go to the mainland. Mm-hmm. I was like, why can't their just little ship just go, okay, turn on the little rotor and then <laughs> fart over. Um, but then they show in figure 128, it's like, just like a regular boat. But in every other fucking context where he brings up boats, like they're sky boats, they're celestial boats. So, you know? and, and I was like, well, why is this just a fucking boat then? Like, <laughs> yeah, why was it necessary for for them to have landing strips if they were going to like land in water and then, yeah, I mean, over it, to it, the, the, the landing strips were later. Um, oh, okay, when right. they were like coming into like the landborn right, uh, right. areas, which they, they we first landed in earlier, the water, where I was questioning why terraformed it. They would need to why like a land a dry land a dry landing was preferable to a water landing. Sure, because the only reason that like they did la- uh, dry landings was because to better protect or secure supplies that are coming in and out of the planet, but mostly in. Yeah. But it would also, would also be to like, uh, I mean, not were all the cities aligned, like on the coast. Yeah. They're pretty Um, close. Like some of the inland. That that actually goes, that that um, sort of goes without saying, right. Um, Most, most civilizations follow coastlines. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, I'm speaking specifically. Where the water is. So, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing. Okay. Like in, in, in this particular context, uh, they follow the coastlines for available resources, generally speaking. First, uh, and then later on move inland. Right. Right, right, right. right. You, uh, so, like, those would be more like uh, um, satellite locations kind of thing. Right on. So, reading this nonsense again. Um, Larsa was one of the cities they established that was inland. Um, mm-hmm. The establishment of Larsa launched a new phase in the settlement on of Earth by the Nephilim. It marked the decision to proceed with the task for which they had come to Earth, which required the shipping to Earth of more manpower, tools, and equipment, and the return of valuable cargoes to the 12th planet. Splashdowns at sea were no longer adequate for such heavier loads. Okay. What? Well... I'm, I mm, mm, mm. so like. Are they saying that? Are you saying? Are, are are they saying? Or Sitchin is stating that for them to take like larger amounts of resources, they had to send bigger ships, and those were just unable to make make you know a waterfall or whatever in that in that aspect. He continues. The climatic changes made the interior more accessible. It was time to shift the landing site to the center of Mesopotamia. Mm. Climate? What? What? That's... Okay, so I was thinking in terms of size. I don't necessarily understand and also, what it was the more accessible, fuck the climate like, has to do. Sea levels would have risen. Uh-huh. So, the coast so then they have... could have gotten like an even closer splashdown. Yeah. I just yeah, don't the, understand how, like... The coastlines would have shrunk. Landing on dry land suddenly became a preferable thing. Like, I mean... It I, sounds like Sitchin is just trying to account for early settlements... No, you're right. people may have made... Again, he's massaging that, his theory into the data. Well, yeah, but I just say, like, okay, well, the further adoption of I, agriculture and... Improvements to irrigation, uh-huh. people can move further inland. Sure. It fucking happens all the time. Yep. You have societies that are basically, you know, maritime resource acquiring dudes. Mm-hmm. And then they figure out a fucking farm and figure out right. how to irrigate stuff. Right, right. And then they can start the you know, access to spreading out and then going like, well, fuck, we don't need as much fucking fish. Resources. We can just grow fucking barley and right. make domesticated animals, animals and have a good and- time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, there's, yeah. but there's no. But if it's just the Nephilim on the planet and they could always do these land touchdowns. Now you're making an assumption there, Daniel, but okay. Because but, again, like they make the distinction in, in the uh, amount of resources that they're able to har- uh, harness or harvest rather. Uh, that's the only, that's the only, and, and really not even understanding the physics of that. It's the only thing I can sort of try to rationalize that why they would try or need to move something further inland. If they wanted to get more shit, I would argue that it is safer and easier for them to land on dry land than it is in the middle of the ocean kind of stuff. Because I would I would think it would take a larger... Uh, but they know where they're going. Sure. They're, they're, they can see it from space and go... Okay, so maybe, 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 though. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. 
way that I can I can sort of like see that is in that. So the first people they sent in were scouts, and they sent them in to try to figure out what the hell is available. Oh, now here you're making assumptions, wrong. I am. Uh, hey, uh, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> oh. Call me out for my bullshit. I will. You, <laughs> you ain't going to stop me. Continue. Can't stop, won't stop. So Point that out real quick. Yeah. So, okay, Pot, look. Cattle, like bitch. After, af- <laughs> so like, I, I think this kind of goes with, uh, I, I think this kind of goes with this narrative. After they've become established and they've tried to start, you know, amassing larger amounts of resources, uh, from the from from the under, uh, knowledge of what's available in the area, after they've scouted it out, um, they're able to more safely move further inland and uh, I guess be more surgical. You know, with, well, sure, uh, but they could be more surgical with their water targeting lines, it. Like land on the fucking river, and they uh-huh. go, "Okay, we're here." But again, like I'm not arguing that. What what I'm sort of uh, postulating is that. With the increase in the amount of okay, so think about it this way: you have like a you know a a, a the it's the difference between like a I guess a, a passenger plane and a cargo plane sort of thing. No, like I get they that. Have but also, like, these fuckers have a year to work <laughs> with before they have to like launch off to go catch the fucking you know twelfth planet again or whatever, or like six okay. months or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these dickheads already operate rocket ships. So, and then they establish well, maybe little they need mother they ships. Little, like little like know. puddle jumpers, you know? Yeah. Like, okay. I don't know what the fucking Anunnaki's problem was. So, like, I'm just thinking of terms of Losers. scale. Like, that's all. No that's, wonder that's, we're so fucked up. <laughs> eh, well, it would be cool, but. Again, like I'm just trying to think in terms of scale no, of what yes, I would it, accept but, yeah. or what I would expect, like, they would need in able to, like, they would transfer have to expand, freight. Yeah. You know, transfer but, a larger amount of freight uh, based on based proposing. on what we do. Based on we do. You know what? Like that's the thing. There's no way we can fucking know for sure. Like I am right, using right. But, so, our analogs to is already to try to, with these water landings and them taking boats. Uh-huh. They're already going against the current. They're going upstream. Oh, that is super inefficient. Okay. You know, so it's that like, why didn't they just initially start with a, yeah, further a up, like, landing, why didn't they stop? Yeah. Why, you know, instead of fighting the current, like they should have actually settled further. Yeah, because they're landing in the ocean and then they're riding up. Maybe like because it, the maybe it doesn't matter. Their science is just that badass fucking cool or whatever. It doesn't matter. Cool. It so ignores the physics. It just goes, oh, we're actually expending less energy because we yeah. can, you know, splash down closer to the mouth of this river. <laughs> no, where uh, you know what? Are this, located. This, you know, this, uh, it, this goes back to the theory of the uh, interstellar Texans. Because it's kick ass and got more power. Who gives a fuck? Like, we're going to get what we need to get when we get there. And as long as it's more than what we spent to, to, to get started, who gives a shit? Like, we're <laughs> awesome. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Obviously. I, I I think we should be wrapping up our thoughts on this because <laughs> it seems say, like it's going to go on for a long obviously time. Obviously, I'm <laughs> being an asshole. <laughs> But uh, interstellar uh, Texans, Grain X. All right, Grain-X, that's sorry. that's what I got. Gregsons, Gregsons, little <laughs> little gray rednecks. <laughs> um, no, like I, um, I'm 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 not arguing any of your. Um, 
any of your postulates here uh, at all, Daniel? Uh, yeah, I, just, I, I think I it is know, it is fucking man. ridiculous. Like, it's absolutely there's there's no explanation to it, and he does not go into enough detail at all. Uh, and even even when he doesn't like, because there's a lot of time he doesn't go into detail, but at least he says, "Oh, here's you know, text say." Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to say. Oh. Like, there's no, you know, fringe scholars. There's no ancient texts that <laughs> he is say the this is what's going on, dude. It's fucking. Yeah, because he's 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 an island of one. <laughs> there's no, there's no one else. Like, from what you've explained to me uh, over the years about Session Ray, because you've told me about him for quite some time, uh, he's, he's, uh, you know, a, a, a thesis unto himself. At the, I mean, for for his time, sure. I mean, now it's like, no, um, yeah. Now we can watch crowd, fucking ancient up, aliens yeah. on Animal Planet or whatever the History Channel, <laughs> Wait, wherever the what? fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, like everybody, like you know, you have. <laughs> was it last year where you had the quote unquote raid of Area Fifty One or I forgot? I I don't know. That was last like, year. Like, yeah. It's not it's, as it's, it's more popular now. Back then, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He yeah. seemed Back a bit. Then, uh, it was more, um, I would say, it was a bit more. Pol- it was a bit more polarizing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, uh, again, yeah, before, like you could before, ruin your life, before, like your career. Before, well, not necessarily. These, but before this, you uh, had Eric von Donneken. So I mean, like he, this idea wasn't uh, what was his name? brand new necessarily. Uh, is that Eric von right. Donneken? Bob Lazar? No, no, no. I this mean, is like uh, this is after that. No, no. Okay, no, but is, same. Like, I, I, I'm talking about that. the idea. Oh, okay, but I, I was I was trying to use it as a reference to like something that. Like you have your you have your viewpoints, your standpoints that you're trying to go with, and it fucks your life. No, no, no. But but the thing is, is that the whole Bob Lazar then, thing, at the, the, time. the whole Bob Lazar thing, is that he was uh, exposing things that the government sure was in charge of. So yeah. I mean, yeah. But I mean, okay. Yeah. Like I guess yeah, like I'm very, this, these, very these ideas, these these ideas were kind of harmless. No, there's no government attached to these ideas necessarily. No, but and and um, and you, the there's only, a the stigma. Thing, there's a stigma associated. Well, the only thing was it. that well, it was it was pretty popular at the time. Eric von Donneken, uh came out with his book, and him he was like just focusing on the fact that look at all these uh, similarities throughout the cultures, and there had to be some kind of one parallel between all of them like you know okay. there's one source from this so there's aliens there's not a specific <laughs> alien there's not like a yeah yeah there's, yeah. there's nothing they're from that, mars yeah they're there could be anyone anyone but there's ancient astronauts yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. sitchin is focusing this uh to a certain certain beings and kind of telling the backstory to this to their eventually Creating. becoming this is almost like a prequel to eric von donnegan's book all right so i mean that's basically what I, I, in my opinion, what this is, okay. this is not necessarily uh, like these aren't con- just, these weren't like necessarily just life. To clarify, uh, Von Donneken did write Chariots his, of the Gods, right? Yeah. That was before this. That was before this. Yeah. Okay. 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 No. Yeah. Just, um, and and this was turned into a TV I will show. Say and this all that though, kind of Ray. Shit, so. Yes. Care. Go ahead. This was life changing to somebody. <laughs> whoever gave this review on the front page of my or front cover of my book, one of the I most important that. books on Earth's roots ever written, East wow. West Magazine. Oh, oh which, yeah, I have that here. I too. read them all the time. Yeah, they come to my fucking doorstep every Sunday night. I, I I've had the times for a little while, but I found that the East West Magazine just really gets to the issues. <laughs> 
Um, well, Library Journal said this is exciting, credible, radical, provocative, and compelling. So yeah, there's ellipses between each of those United words. So they could Press have taken that from like a whole page. Heavyweight scholarship. For thousands of years, priests, poets, and scientists have tried to explain how life began. Now a recognized scholar has come forth with a theory that is the most astonishing of all. Recognized. <laughs> you don't say. I mean, these were popular books. Don't get me wrong. These were fucking popular no, books. No, you know? it was one of the most important books. Oh, important on. books. Sorry. <laughs> important books specifically. You stand corrected. You, you sit. I, stay, yes, I stand corrected. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, let's let's wrap up this uh, radical, most important heavyweight book of all time. Uh, this these five chapters, right? So we still speak. got another. Iteration. Yeah, we have uh, chapters eleven through fifteen still coming your way. Yep. Um, we'll give our final thoughts on the book as a whole uh, after that, uh-huh. and we'll also throw out. Uh, I've only found one article so far uh, criticizing. Uh, this book was it an Amazon review? No, it wasn't. No, it was actual uh, a actual essay that someone wrote. Oh yeah, I saw yeah. that. Uh, I saw I found that same one. Um, yeah. Interesting. Where he like a half a page within the first like two. Goop. No, it's it's. I don't remember how long it is, but it's the guy like makes an attempt. You know, like mm-hmm. he really tries to address like the problems with this and stuff. Uh, interesting. And I would say in the first two paragraphs using Sitchin's own words against him. You know, <laughs> uh, he discredited everything Sitchin wrote. I mean, well, which, 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 not we, to, which we, we've uh, been doing this whole time. Yeah. You know? But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But not to, not to like where, uh, denegrate that necessarily, but that's a low in the author's bar. Note where it must be like, it must be borne in mind that all of the translations consulted of which the principal ones are listed at the end of the book are just that translations or interpretations. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then he talked about how he's like, I've looked at the Hebrew source and parallel Sumerian and Akkadian texts and tales to come up with what I believe is a most accurate rendering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so this guy who wrote that essay just brings it up very early on. He's like, see, like you like just right there. Like this is just an interpretation. Like this is, a, you know, <laughs> this is his bullshit. Yeah. And it's funny. It smells like it. All right. So, um, we'll uh, be back with part three of books of the strange. Uh, the conclusion to Zechariah Sitchin's The Twelfth Planet. Um, anything to add before we sign no, off? Um, nah. Before I'm, you get into I'm this good, whole uh, diatribe of nonsense. <laughs> no, we'll save that for we'll the save after. that for the last one. Yeah, okay. for the last one when we, we go to Okay, the, so the um, that's it for tonight. Um, I hope you were... Uh, Daniel and Roland, uh, you guys have really carried these episodes along. Um, I hope that's not a uh, bad yeah. thing. You know? I, no, 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 that's, I, that's a very good geez. thing, actually. I, I feel like uh, I <laughs> might have had something to say. No, I mean, uh, the, regarding the, the history and like, uh, whatever he's bringing up as far as uh, culturally and all that kind of stuff, far above my pay grade. Like, that's not my, <laughs> that's not where I go to. I just give me the gist of the story, give me the, the meat of it, and let me be on my fucking way. Mm. The details hold little to no importance to me whatsoever uh but i still enjoy reading about it but it doesn't it doesn't really like a click in my head necessarily Uh, unless i I, multiple readings a little bit more intense uh any way you hack bringing out a diagram on my whiteboard to like connect all the dots and stuff like that (laughs) that's the only way i want to do it and i frankly don't have time for that uh so uh my name is ray this is roland and pacific northwest studios this is Daniel. Uh, we'll see you on, or we'll, you'll hear us on the next episode coming up. Um, 
next, uh, I, I'm excited about this next chapter, chapter Mutiny of the of the Anunnaki. Oh, Anunnaki. That yeah. that sounds like just the title alone sounds exciting. So yeah. Um, well, you'll hear from us next time. So peace. See you, dudes. Ridiculous. 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 Ridiculous.